thought his dream. From the age of Big Brother, from the age of the Dawn Police, from a dead man, greetings. Coronavirus is the biggest threat this country has faced for decades. We're seeing the devastating impact of this invisible killer. There will come a moment when no health service in the world could possibly cope because there won't be enough ventilators, enough intensive care beds, enough doctors and nurses. That is the moment of real danger. The new variant is out of control and we need to bring it under control. And this news about the new variant has been a uh, an incredibly difficult end to, frankly, an awful year. And it's important for everybody to act, essentially act like they might have the virus. And that's the way that we can control it together. The way ahead is hard. And it is still true that many lives will sadly be lost. Our advisory group on new and emerging respiratory virus threats, nerve tag, has spent the last few days analyzing this new variant. It may be up to 70% more transmissible than the old variant, the original version of the disease. You, you might be infectious and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Assume you might be infectious, assume you might be infectious and that's the way that we have to behave at this moment. Today, the United Kingdom's chief medical officers have advised that the country should move to alert level five, meaning that uh, if action is not taken, NHS capacity may be overwhelmed within 21 days. And it's going to spread further. And I, I must level with you, level with the, the British public. Um, more families, uh, many more families are going to lose loved ones before their time. Your colleague on stage, John Edmonds, has just sent me a statement saying that as far as he's concerned, this is the worst moment of the epidemic because of the extraordinary inf infectivity of this new strain. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I mean, this is a horrible moment for sure. I to say, as I'm really sorry to hear about your two relatives who died from this virus. I mean, it is a very dangerous virus uh, for many people. We're looking to move to a different regime, so as we come to the fourth step, we will change the basic tools that we have used to control human behavior.
after reading that little line, I will be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they're actually playing with. They are, in a coup they might come and fucking intimidate me and whatnot. But fuck, they do not understand what the fuck just one person like myself is capable of. They do not fucking understand. No fucking vaccine or MRA will ever flow through my fucking blood blood. Never! I will fucking die fucking fighting for my forefathers and my fucking lineage. Fuck these motherfuckers. stream and uh is it is it less than 24 hours since i did the last stream but in between then i've uh shot up to tokyo i had myself shot up and uh i will be talking with commander rixie over um well actually charles is just going to be on audio charles if you could give me a sound check so we can just make sure that everything's clear uh sound check one two three all right again sweet one more time that's better all right so um audience please if you could let me know if the sound is okay and you can hear everything um that would be cool and i got complaints <coughs> off the last stream and eh, you know i'm picking up the pieces here all the time <laughs> what can i say um all right andy rock says five by five that's good. That's good. Cool. So, um, <clears throat> more importantly, how are you doing, dude? Uh, pretty good. I mean, I'm, I, I admit I'm laying down on the couch. We'll um, forgive you this time. Yeah, my, my, uh, my back's hurting, so mm -hmm. I'm, uh, still recovering, but, um, but I did, I couldn't help, but, uh, when I saw what the stream was going to be about, I had to hop on. So. Mm, there's uh, there's a lot of stuff happening, and you know there's a whole bunch of studies have come out which are showing continued cognitive decline, 
across uh, populations. I need to get to those. And then this was in my email box, Pierre Corey's Substack. And <laughs> that was... That was excellent. Excellent. That was actually before I went and drove to Tokyo. So, fuck, man. I've been busy the last <laughs> 24 hours. What a... Uh... What a time, and then to come back, and then there's a bio warfare space, and Chris Newby um, laying down some heat. That was uh, wow. Well, I, I don't know, dude. I have some frustrations there. What uh, we should be, we should be hitting the hammer harder. I know she's bringing receipts, but it seemed to me that. Um, well, if if that's if that's what's supposed to be our number one advocacy group right now, they're testifying and everything, and yeah, they... biosafety now is is nothing. Mm -hmm. They're yeah, no, but that's why we need. I I totally agree with Nick, and clearly, she was not. She doesn't really know that we're all connected, um, right. but we definitely need to have a space with Chris Newby, mm. or, or not not even just a space, but but a stream with her. Yes, because I, I think that would be, I've got some, I think that'd be a great conversation. I really do. Yeah, I think we can, we can win her over, and and she, she's a great resource. Well, so. she she for sure knows, the, you know, she made she was making a very good point, which is one that we keep trying to hammer home, which is, they went for incapacitation, right? That that yep. was the the defining paradigm around which these programs moved and well i i would i would argue right now that it's essentially opened the space to allow for well if, if prions are on the menu dude then yeah it's incapacitation but then you know <laughs> The end state. But that's still lethal. Yeah, yeah right. It's just uh, yeah, just dragging through the mud for uh, a few decades and the barbed wire and um, you know, grind. Well, down. she's she. I I know that she, she's smart enough. She's made these connections between, but you know, Lyme and what's happening now, mm -hmm. and you know, biosafety now has zero interest. Like I, I can't. I can't believe how weak they are in dancing around this issue of, of bioweapons research. It's so pathetic. Mm. Um, yeah, God. It was, but anyway, I, like, I, I'm glad we were able to at least um, reconnect a little bit with her. And um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, there's there's more important stuff to, mm. to good, throw down good, today. Good to know Nick is out there, sort of scanning the airwaves and. Um, making these contacts as well. Um, he yep. he is, if anything, the diplomat in this space. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah. We'll, we'll let him do the speaking. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm well. I think we're. I was having this discussion with Rimo. Yes, or yeah, it was yesterday, and you know, I was. We'd sat down for dinner and I was like, well, you know, I, I was venting frustration. I don't remember why it came up. I was just like, it's 
you know, if again, pre on sit at the center here and I'm like, I'm incredibly frustrated. I was like, and, um, Malone came up and I was just like, you know, there's someone who, oh, I think we, I, I tell you what, we, we, we talked about, uh, Brett Weinstein on Tucker and I sort of said, oh, you know, I started complaining, well, opportunity missed. And then, um, Malone came up and I was just like, I, I you know, vented my frustrations about him. And she was like, oh no, I think he's great. And, uh, Desme and uh, I was like, ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, if, if someone who I talk to regularly doesn't um, grab all the all the incidentals about these people, um, I don't know. I mean, look, I, she has a point that they they act as um, steps, if you like, as people try to um, figure out what's going on. Um, the problem is, is that if if you're getting stuck at one point, uh, you, you you're likely to end up in a um, a, a dead end or a, a bizarre merry-go-round that's emergent out of uh, what we call it the panda panda rancor space that's essentially <laughs> being. It, 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 to, I don't know. Maybe it's me just being, you know. I'm cognizant of it, and so I'm watching it, and I'm frustrated with the uh, gibberish that they're coming out with, and so I'm paying more attention to it, and perhaps, and but no, that's not true, because the thing is, Ra uh, Rancor's little 10-minute video has sort of gone viral, where he's saying there's there's no pen pandemic, and it's, it's a particularly pernicious um, message, because what it does is... It, but by saying, oh, everything was just vaccine, nothing happened prior to vaccines, and then vaccines emerge, and then that was the kill shot. Now, um, I, I don't think we'd disagree about having to understand what the, what the mechanisms are around the vaccines. This is incredibly important. Um, but... If you do that and you take their approach, you're completely dismissing all the people that had a full full contact with the pathogen and didn't come out the other side unscathed, right? And then you're too easy to be taken down by people who were just the, the orthodox, you know, even if they, you know, those that would say the virus is natural or whatever, and it's the virus did, was doing all these things and we had to find something to do and there's that group as well and the thing is what happens with teeing up rancor is you allow these people to be able to come in and just take down um any sort of or, or a, a, any argument that you would be trying to put forward about you know, the anomalies that we're seeing that's the way i see it well no i think i mean you and i the fact that we're directly connected to this stupidity via gigastone um yes it uh we're, we're we're colored by it but at the same time we were 18 months ago or 15 months ago what were we saying we were saying uh cooey's gone insane mm. he's retarded and it's going to do x amount of damage this is terrible and guess what? We were absolutely right. 
every front. And this is the inevitable result of what we're seeing. Yeah. Is we're seeing that we're seeing on one hand, half the people are waking up to this bioweapons aspect of this. And half of them are going down these these toilet bowl rabbit holes. I mean, it's just it's insane. So so I don't I the fact that we're we continue to be right. And so the fact that, you know, Remo doesn't know everything there is to know about Malone, for instance, um, that's that's because they're actively still we're being suppressed <laughs> on both sides. Mm. Um, it's depressing, but, but once again, we were still right. We've been proven right. And so, yeah, I don't feel bad about that. I think, uh, I don't know, that, that's their problem. And we just need to keep continuing to push these people out of the way so that way we can get to the truth. And yeah, I think Pierre Corey did an excellent, excellent smackdown. Um, yes. That, you know, yeah. Oh, I just, so. I just need to chat. I just changed my voice, uh, uh, my sound. Apparently, I was a little on the quiet side. So, uh, <coughs> CM, if you could tell me that it sounds okay. And I want to make a point that um, I should have. Uh, funds that arrive on a Rixie stream um, get split with Rixie and me. So, feed that Marine right now as he's out of hospital recuperating. Do that, and me yeah. <laughs> cover my medical bills. <laughs> yeah, we're both broken. Look at us. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. I, don't, I should. Uh, should I change screen? And uh, I don't know. I will, we, I'll. I'll show off my. I think I couldn't get the um, the MRI yesterday because I'm sort of sliding in. You know, I'm, it's not like orthodox appointments and everything when I'm going to this clinic, right? So I've got to do my MRI. I just did. You went to a synagogue? (laughs) I was was hoping I would get an MRI um, yesterday and they, they couldn't squeeze it in. So in two Mm. weeks time, he, he talked me out of surgery and to continue with what I was doing. But you know what, dude? I was standing there, right? And there's like a poster on the door with like the endoscope, you know, cartoon-like image of and a picture of the incision. So they do this sort of micro-surgery, right, where they'll put a endo- uh, scope in and cut away the tissue. And I was sort of looking at that, and I was like, oh, God, oh, please. I don't know. <laughs> that looks so soothing. <laughs> Anyway, anyway, uh, let's. Um, I don't know if people want to see it on the screen or see. I'll, I'll just keep me on the screen. And I think what I should do is we should. I'm just going to start reading through it. If you've got a, a, a point to um, jump in. Yeah, I th- yeah, I think that's good. And once again, I apologize, folks. I'm not on my computer because <clears throat> I'm, I'm sprawled out on the couch because uh, I, I, my back is certain and from, you know, all that stuff inflamed in my gut. So um, mm-hmm. I apologize again. It'll. I see somebody was saying it was a little distorted, but 
you, y'all just gonna have to suck it up today because because yeah, i'm not looking down well we're, we're both um let's say i was coming back in the car dude and i was like dang all, all the things i've got to do and i'm taking on more stuff and then i need to do this 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 and then i'm back immediately i'm sat in front of the pc then straight onto a Twitter space and now straight to streaming and again all the all these things that uh i should be doing in meat space uh get put back but yeah it is what it is all right um let's let's just start so this was posted january 10th 2024 by pierre corey um it's titled debate was COVID 19 a pandemic caused by a novel pathogen or was it created solely by harmful policies and fear propaganda and this is it, it's going to be a crucial pillar in my mind as we move further and further away from the initial events um, and literature and distorted views stack up so it's important debate and discussion to be having and someone who was clinically frontline their experience in this instance just as a starter as a, a, a my opening thoughts would trump the conclusions drawn by people who were um not in hospitals are um I'm not saying more about their data analysis until we get further in. So let's start the the article. In the spirit of intent, in the spirit and intent of fostering respectful scientific debate, a group of colleagues has asked some of us frontline clinicians to reply to a post written by Martin Neal, Jonathan Engler, and Jessica Hockett titled Spikeopathy Does Not Explain the Novel Symptoms Associated with COVID-19. Obviously, if you're interested in following in the debate, the points raised and the points counted, it is mandatory you read the above post before proceeding with the below. Now, I'm not going to read that post. Um, is there any points that you want to add as we move into it that perhaps people should just be aware of if they're moving into this space not fully informed? Uh, well, I think that the vast majority of your audience is pretty up to date on Giga Spiral and Panda and the arguments that they're making that it was all just a sham and there was no spreading virus. Uh, that's, that's, that's basically what Corey is arguing here. And it's, he's, he's going to cover a lot of the same ground that you and I have covered. Um, and so once again, He's making the same arguments that you know that Meryl Nass or or Lynn Finn or or other people have made about Joanna. Okay, She's a the, jo Joanna. Yeah. So everybody who is sitting back and 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 is not and, and this may sound weird because of course you and I were not on the front lines, but we aren't stupid enough to fall prey to these idiotic ideas and we're reading the science. Well, and, um, you know, if you've had it or know people that have had it, um, <laughs> you, you just... right. <laughs> it's not, it's not complicated. And, and we, and we've talked about all the data and everything that shows that it is a virus that spreads the aerosol and, and all the phylogenetics, all the sequencing, everything like that. Um, 
so we're clearly on one side of this, mm. even though we're not. Well, actually, you do have some clinical experience, but I'm clearly not a doctor or scientist in any way. So, uh, uh, dude, did you don't put yourself down because like your training is to understand symptom profiles to match to pathogens of of war. Right? Well, that is that. Well, that is actually true. That is what I used to teach. Um, but but yes, so it's good, but it's still good to have the backup of all these doctors who were in the clinical setting mm. and we're treating these patients. And so, I mean, yeah, that, that's all I'd really say is that I think it's, it's about time that more doctors came out. And I think it's, it's, it's actually a little bittersweet because the only reason Corey had to do this is because these ideas, this this infectious clone stupidity, has has spread ironically mm. so much that he had to address it in such a, a stark and direct way. Mm. But uh, I'm glad that he did. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, me too. Because I wasn't expecting it, and it just well, when you're dealing with fulminating and spreading, oh, I don't want to say it's delusion well it's, it's kind of delusion mixed with um motivated analysis in one particular direction and um, yeah motivated God. analysis is a good term all right so let's move on uh he says if you didn't or don't want to read it i'll instead summarize their main argument and findings in no particular order besides the post above and whatsapp exchanges these points were made by various members who have taken the position that no novel pathogen existed. <laughs> Fucking Cooey. <laughs> That's him. All right, Nick Hudson. To summarize, one, in COVID itself, there was no medical emergency of any sort. Um, thoughts, Charles? Uh, if you ask me for my thoughts every time I could offer them, then... We'll never finish this. Right, right. But... you know what? But yeah, probably what's a better <laughs> idea is is just to. There's five points. I'll read through them, and then we'll um we'll, we'll just discuss yeah. them. All right. So, <clears throat> so policy uh, policy measures created a medical and social emergency of many dimensions. A mass casualty event at, at its most acute around the declaration of the fake pandemic. The vaccines created a medical emergency of uncertain quantum and duration. The drive towards digital IDs and CBDCs constitutes a political emergency. Sustenance of the viral bioweapon myth into alia provides cover and justification for four. Uh, six, a not inconsiderable number of high-ranking policymakers were cited on all of the above from the start, knowing that there was no material risk in COVID and considerable risk in the vaccines. Wow. Oh. <laughs> so there are some points. There are some issues in there that are important ones. And um, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater in this instance. Of course, the uh, ever encroaching um, digital tyranny is something that we should be pushing against at every turn. That's important. Um, but to think that there were no casualties in the opening phases until they declared a pandemic is 
it's a kind of it, it, it's a failure to understand the mechanisms that are in place when these you know as modeled events were supposed to unfurl right which you know by any what they would be saying is nothing happened in china um nothing happened in korea nothing happened to me nothing happened to um a whole bunch of people in and i'm trying to remember what exact date the pandemic was <clears throat> declared and i want to say it was uh well uh, that was in march i, I want to it was I that late exactly it was that uh, late. yeah um yeah now i'm going to look it up because i'm curious but because in the because the pandemic right so, so i think it was march 11th March 11th was the pandemic declared. I thought it was February. March 11th, yeah. March mm. 11th. <clears throat> mm. There you go. So by this time, you've got multiple events happening across multiple countries. And um, what were, even if they're going to use it with malintent, what were what were what were the other mechanisms that you could do at at this stage when in in this instance we were we were seeing something that was being alerted by essentially clinicians like Pierre <clears throat> correct he he was one of those who i don't remember if he was already in New York or if he traveled there but but he was in New York um treating patients during this time period. So he had firsthand experience. So did Lynn Finn. Um, and I've heard both of them talk at length about what they were seeing as they were treating patients. And they were clearly, I mean, in fact, I remember I heard her explain that on a space where it was me and others talking about the origin and Nick Hudson was in that from Panda. So one of the, one of the key um, authors of this stupidity. Um, so they keep listening to clinicians and keep telling them that they don't know what they're fucking talking about. Because uh, we're yeah. we're engineers and you know, right? And whatever. <laughs> all those, all those uh, decades of uh, clinical experience coming to the fore. Um, yeah. All right. So we should probably spend more time reading through. Corey's rebuttal and just trying to get a uh, yeah, a, yeah. a taste or a, a, a summary of what the the gaggle of stupid is saying. So Mike Eden, in a reply to my descriptions of the clinical syndrome, Mike Eden says, I'm sure you're describing what you, sh- you saw, but there's a problem. The epidemiological <laughs> evidence doesn't square with there being a highly transmissible and above average mortality. Now, I know that what happening here is they're falling back on rancor's data and um yep i disagree with rancor and i've, I've already shown why his maths is stupid <laughs> people people are latching onto it and he says perhaps you dispute what dennis rancor and colleagues have published yes vehemently vehemently <laughs> There was no hint oh of God. increased illness or death as measured by all-cause mortality in the USA 
state, I think that must be state by state, until after who called a pandemic. Well, that's right. That's because that's because it it was only spreading. So, um, we just when I googled it, what the declaration said was, after more than one hundred eighteen thousand cases in one hundred fourteen countries and four thousand two hundred ninety one deaths, the WHO declares COVID nineteen a pandemic. Well, that may be true, but eighty percent of that was in China. On on March eleventh. I, I'm trying to remember now. There were on March 11th. I was one of like the first thousand cases in the U.S. I was one. I was one of the first ones in the state of Texas. Um, so there wasn't, and there wouldn't have been a measurable um, all-cause mortality increase on on March 11th, the date that they announced the pandemic. Right. It, it's it's absolutely asinine for them to make that claim. Right. It's completely ridiculous. It's, it's like kind of claiming, uh, um, well, the dynamite didn't go off at the when the match was lit. Well, you know, you've got to burn through the right, fuse. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Oh god! But well, those, those matches are fake. Yeah, fake and gay. <laughs> no, no. This their argument is the Wiley Coyote argument. Yeah, with the dynamite. That's exactly. That's a great example. That's a that's a good, uh, good analogy there. The wily coyote, the wily coyote <laughs> reasoning. That's the real Scooby Doo. Right anyway, <laughs> all right. Um, uh, so it's on this basis that I've been saying that there's no pandemic. Oh, so we'll ignore all the data all around the rest of the world and um, latch on to. Um, easily demonstrably <laughs> false, not false, just screwed up math and interpretation. And well, and that's basically Rankle's first paper. Is he was just trying to say, well, you know, the spread around the USA that you would get hotspots, basically, and how uh, and in their mind, it sort of it should it should have just spread like a, I don't know, you had a, you'd hit an artery. And you were looking at uh, the country was the equivalent of a white cotton shirt, and it would just uncover everything once that initial point of spread has occurred. Um, it's again, that's an asinine way of thinking about the the phenomenon in and of itself, right? And I was thinking about this in the car today, right? Even in like a cell culture, right, with uh, a pathogen, what you'll see is bits that have succumb, and then there are cells next to it that haven't, right? Um, this is this is a yeah, world... but 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 that's but that's yeah, but that's microbiology. That's a different level. So yeah, and but that's basically that, that's their argument. They're basically saying, oh well, it's. It's quantum, and we just don't understand it. Mm. <sighs> Fucking idiots. Right. Um, so how could this... So this is Eden. How could this be if there was a highly contagious and above-average lethality pathogen? <laughs> and again, this isn't to discount the stupid um, recommendations that were made by authorities. For sure, that was 
part of this. And if there's an element where, and again, if they've moved in the direction of, all right, I, I think the best way to couch the prion thing is that, well, the eugenicists have taken a, a swing and maybe connected in this instance. Right. Um, well, there's a, they're also focusing on, on this, this trope of, of this of a highly lethal pathogen. Well, yes, that's what they were claiming, but it doesn't have to be high. What does highly lethal mean? It was highly lethal to 80 year old people. Mm. It was killing 18% to 21% of, of 80 year olds that it was infecting. Mm. Um, and it was killing one out of every 2 million or something of most people under the ages of 40 or 30. So they're trying to they're trying to tie people that say that it was highly lethal with everything else, but that's not what we were saying at all. Mm. I wrote articles on my website in April and May of 2020 talking about how the the incredible age differences, like the the, the incredible differences in in um, in uh, like threat for people of different ages, like the age uh, disparities were so massive, and everybody was able to identify that from China. So, the, but what they're trying to do is paint with a broad brush and say, "Oh, well, this bioweapon must be highly lethal and and super toxic and." And once again, that's not even our argument. Our argument is that the bioweapon is incapacitating and not lethal. Mm. So that's just another one of the little tropes that they throw in there. They pile them all on there, put everything in, combine it, and then tar and feather it. Yeah, and, and for me, for me, I was, I was talking about impact on brain and the long-term consequences of it. Right, you, you, you should. Um, but be be wary, and you know the data is um, in that space. Uh, uh, the, it's plotting in that uh, that space, right? This is why this is why we're seeing more and more studies coming out with um, cognitive decline, um, long term uh, uh, conditions, and in fact, you know there was a paper. Again, I've missed it just because there's so much stuff going on, which showed that if if you've been infected, the chances of dying within a year were massively increased, but they, that doesn't get included as a um, infect or case fatality rate in this instance. And, you know, people well, are dying. Yes, that's very important. And that's actually an argument that I've made in the past, is that if you count all of the people who are going to die because of this virus, then the actual infection fatality rate over the long term would be much, much higher. Um, and but once me, again, let me, these let are me the just same... address Psygo in the chat. He says it was a global media psyop. Ron Paul called it out as a hoax in March of 2020, explained how they simply shifted the regular seasonal flu numbers over into a new column. No, it's it's more complex than that. Right. You, you have to. <laughs> so if think back to when they sort of took their measures. Right. And the immediate the immediate thing was that and it's, it's a story that stuck with me. It was Norway, Denmark, somewhere like that. 
And um, it was undertakers complaining, saying, oh, we don't have um, our usual business, basically, because <laughs> with, um, well, the, you know, the burden of life that had been altered, right? We'd made these sort of large scale decisions. And so um, there were, there, there was a, there's a highly complex interrelationship we know now between coronaviruses, influenza, etc. And um, you can't just say that uh, what, what emerged was just recategorized flu. And Pierre will address that by listing through the symptoms and how clinicians approach this type of problem right and well well so, so i just want to say uh, to her and to anybody else next wednesday uh it was it was going to be i don't even know if today is it was going to be this wednesday maybe today but um but next wednesday i've i'm going to be debating these very topics with John Cullen on the podcast. Okay. So, so not only are, are we discussing this here now, but I'm going to go and into the, the lion's den and point out how this stuff is all stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, in addition to what we're doing now. So just keep that in the back of your mind. Okay. Which stream are you doing on? I, I don't know. I'll have to, I don't know. I, I'm coordinating with his his person, so hmm. whoever, whatever John Cullen does, uh, I'll let you guys know beforehand. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Um, yeah. Look, uh, Saiga, we we are on board with that. There was a, a whole slew of corporate malfeasance going on, right? But you have to if you don't get. If you're not accurate around the data, you will get cut down at the knees. This is this is why it's so important. You can't just go blundering into the minefield and <laughs> think uh, well, it was they're not real. Well, remember that one of the key components of, of their argument is that long COVID itself isn't real. And it, it's being used as a cover to hide vaccine injuries. Right. And so that there is no long COVID coming from a novel pathogen because there was no novel pathogen. Mm. And that was and, that was being reported very, very early on. Correct. It was. That, that was what I was warning about. To, that and... there was pe- yeah, exactly. There's peer-reviewed literature mm. by, by October of 2020, you know, earlier, but a whole bunch of it starting in the fall of 2020 where they're saying, yeah, there's long-term symptoms coming from this. Mm. And once again, that's the same shit that you were saying six months earlier. Mm-hmm. So a they killed some people in nursing homes and on ventilators. Again, you're just taking a misconstruing data points again. And the, well, it's going to be addressed with Pierre Corey. I don't want. To, I want to get through um, each one of these things. Okay, so uh, 
Ian goes on, separately, I've looked and looked and I'm unable to find in the literature good evidence of contagion in influenza-like illnesses broadly. Patients with acute respiratory illnesses that are classified as influenza-like illnesses were unable to cause healthy people brought into contact with them to acquire symptoms of influenza-like illnesses. There were several experiments attempted and they were unsuccessful. He would be probably talking about uh, these early experiments in the early 1900s, etc. And um this you know with there there have been human challenge studies and even with SARS very early on that was done in the UK actually and they can they can induce infection they can get infection in primates and they can do the uh, spreading and aerosol infections as well these are th these are all in the literature if you go and look and again, if you if you make absolutist claims like this, then again you will get um, the rug pulled out from underneath you. Um, do you know of literature that demonstrates symptomatic contagion of diseases of this kind? The PCR-based diagnostic tests are not meaningful. How did you differentially diagnose COVID-19 from other ILIs? So we'll get to that. Sean Flanagan. I don't know who this is. As per my previous. Uh, above to me as the non-medic non-scientist ordinary joe here uh maybe we should just sk skip him <laughs> i don't know i'll just go through it so all the data in 2019 diamond princess january 2020 and 2020 before lockdowns and mpis in march and all cause mortality numbers and no excess deaths point to no pandemic of october 2019 and prior who definition and cases declining in march 2020 before lockdowns and mpis uh, the 2020 all-cause mortality and excess data and numbers pre-mid-December 2020 commencement of mRNA injection rollout point to no pandemic. Oh, that's stupid. Um, there was something or some things different in circulation, which we had not seen before, but was totally manageable if treated properly. Words quote to this effect on one of our spaces by Lynn Finn. Some frontline doctors have said they saw some different stuff earlier in 2019. Uh, yeah, um, there's potential evidence of earlier circulation. I wouldn't, I wouldn't dismiss that. As previously mentioned here above and on our Twitter spaces, various frontline doctors around the world, including those here, were going about their normal business of treat what you see with existing medications and therapeutics and sharing information. And if the WHO government's public health, MSM, Big Tech, et had never mentioned or declared pandemic, or any of the data and fear porn they instigated, then the whole world would have just carried on as normal. And frontline doctors globally would have swapped notes as to what was working, like our side did, and just carried on going about their day to day treat what you see with no interference and left alone to do what they do you know, we get that and look again i'm not gonna sit here and we know that they made very deliberate policy decisions about go home take acetaminophen come back when your lips are blue right that was that was um a highly heinous thing to do and the um removal of um, tried therapeutics or, or known therapeutics that we understood their pharmacological profile and their ability to impact symptoms, right? The fact that it took months and months for them to hone in on um, corticosteroids and then the, well, an, another big therapeutic jump was the heparin, right? That they began giving people heparin because, and obviously, the difference with um, COVID and general influenza is SARS is a systemic coagulopathy, which differentiates it um, clinically um, very much from just normal respiratory 
what we what you'd normally encounter. Okay, um, so this more recent one by Nick Hudson lends supporting data for their hypothesis that propaganda and harmful policies were the cause of the pandemic. So in this instance, you have to take the assumption that they're saying there was no SARS virus. It doesn't exist. All the sequences are not real. And the clinical data is, um, a, 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 I don't know, a fever dream of uh, thousands of clinicians across the world. Um, read this whole thread. The perpetrators knew exactly what they were doing. They missed the section on, on how autonomic responses can create flu-like symptoms. Nick is referring to this Twitter thread by Champagne Joshi, Josh Welkos, a 2006 DHS document about the possibility of mass psychogenic illness. Um, they define as a phenomenon in which social trauma or anxiety combines with a suspicious event to produce psychosomatic symptoms such as nausea, difficulty breathing and paralysis. If many individuals come to believe that the psychosomatic outbreak is connected to the cause of the trauma or anxiety, these symptoms can be spread rapidly throughout population. Particular focus is given to a CBR event, particularly those involving chemical, biological, radiological weapons. The number of those suffering from psychogenic illness could far exceed the number of actual casualties in a CBR event. Some impl implications stated in the document... Uh, the observed symptoms of many mass psychogenic illness events are similar to several non-specific symptoms of possible chemical and biological weapons, including chemical agents, inhalation, anthrax, and avian influenza. Recent cases of mass psychogenic illness display a transfer of the symptoms onto contemporary anxieties. Um, uh, anyway, we'll, we'll get to that. So next they submitted this nine-minute lecture by Rancor. I might just bring that link up window. Uh, there was a peak of deaths early on in certain hotspots that was directly due to how people were treated in hospitals and care homes. Now, um, yes, again, some treatment factors did have a, a, a role to play. But the question is, why were people taken into the hospitals in the first place? And why were they developing these cluster of symptoms? This is the important thing, cluster of symptoms, which clinicians recognized it as being different from the usual fare that they would deal with. Uh, there was no pandemic. Instead, there was intense propaganda. There was no particularly virulent pathogen. There was nothing that was spreading that was causing death. Mortality didn't cross borders. There were areas without any increase in all-cause mortality, right next to hotspots where there was. In more than half the country studied, there was no increase in all-cause mortality until the vaccines were rolled out. Yeah, you know what? There were a whole bunch of countries where that did happen. But anyway. Nick Hudson and Mike Eden agree with the above and they ask, let anyone who takes a different view please either refute Rancor's basic analytical methods, findings and conclusions. Oh, very easy. You do not use a 12-month rolling window and uh, retrogradely push it into the, <laughs> um, into the past and then try and capture uh, all deaths that were happening prior to vaccine rollouts and add them up in your uh, vaccine casualty column. And uh, you've got to explain all the... Uh, the Russia, Iran, South, all, all of the South American countries, and the, um, the with Rancor trying to say he, he tries to use Peru as an example, and because I've called out Peru, so he obviously knows that uh, I'm going after that particular point, right? Because the numbers are so so large in Peru, and basically he's saying, well, that's government response. So um, you're, you're literally talking um, tens of thousands of deaths in this instance. And he's basically saying that it was caused by uh, the Peruvian military. Um, that would literally require the Peruvian military to be machine gunning down thousands of people a day, right? And 
I'm sorry, you gotta you gotta work hard to convince me that um telling people to stay home is gonna um is gonna cause them to uh suffer the symptoms, et cetera, that we see and have been documented. But anyway, so frontline clinician rebuttal. I'll state at the outset that I, we will be a, unable to fully square the circle in providing an explanation for all the anomalous events and data described. Well, that's because um, you don't want to step into the biowarfare space and um, try and understand that all, all of these factors are part of a weapon system, but that's just me. However, as a clinician, the only point I wish to and believe I'm able to counter is the assertion there was no novel pathogen. And once that's countered, um, all the rest of, well, not all the rest, but the, the important topics that they're bringing up get tarred by their stupidity. We maintain there was a novel pathogen which caused a novel syndrome, and that was initially particularly deadly in many areas, Lombardy, New York City, Seattle, Detroit, New Orleans, and others, and not just to the old, at least in my clinical experience. However, what I cannot explain is why certain hotspots became medical disaster zones, while other areas or countries apparently not far away geographically did not exhibit such manifestations. I believe this latter question comes after we decide whether there was a novel pathogen, then we can try to answer why this novel pathogen affected certain areas and places disproportionately. And that's because uh, at a fine granular level, you're going to have differences in competency, in local um, mechanisms that they deploy to uh, treat before the... Uh, the big control or, or the gears and levers are pushed that say send everyone home and um, you know let them <laughs> let them let them uh, negotiate with it themselves. So one aspect of the no new pathogen camps argument is based on the existence of antibodies to SARS-CoV-2 found in numerous places in 2018 and 2019 before the Wuhan outbreak. Thus they conclude that the disease had been around but the catastrophic impacts only occurred after the WHO declaration, media fear-mongering and the illogical and harmful lockdown and mask and social distancing policies. So um, with the antibody, it's important data, but the important thing to remember is there's no um, sequencing of SARS-CoV-2 in that instance. So, and antibodies are, can be notoriously um, non-specific in this instance. And the when they say that there were many, that there weren't, I want to say that there was some detected in Italy. There was a sewage sample detected in Spain, Barcelona, I think. And I'm trying to think where else there were early detections. We'll just say that they're, they're minimal in their... Um, it's not like there's just a slew of papers that say, oh, yeah, 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 we're getting it in, in blood samples and um, wastewater. Um, here's uh, 50 studies from 30 countries, multiple cities. That, that doesn't exist. I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Oh. You're live, Charles? Oh. Um, let me just see if... Uh... Oh, and it, whilst he's sorting himself out. Um, sequencing in silicon. They never isolated anything per Cox postulates. Man, I should just bitch slap you from one end of the internet to the other. Um, we'll get we'll get to that. Um, 
Look up nanoporesequencing. All right, so the authors of the New England Journal of Medicine paper wrote that the development of BNT162B2 was initiated on January 10th, 2020, when the SARS-CoV-2 genetic sequence was released by the Chinese Center for Disease Control. Um, sequencing on a computer model. It literally shows that you know nothing nothing about genomics and molecular biology etc etc you're listening to andrew kaufman and thomas cowan and uh, all those wanks will run away from any debate where well where they have been challenged they won't come and uh, they'll do it all from a distance and you have to you have to discount the decades of studies which have outlined and used viruses viruses are an industrial product right now that's that's how much we understand the phenomenon we use them in industries okay so they can be isolated they can be manipulated and they can be used to um you, you know things like uh, uh gene uh, genetic medicine where you where you're trying to uh reverse uh pathologies in people's genomes that's done often through adeno or lentiviruses Uh, I'm not sure what happened to Charles, but um, <laughs> I hope he's okay. Let's just see. Did you call off the sofa? Um, so we countered with the fact that whatever was causing antibodies to be made in certain places in 2018 or 2019 did not have the pathogenicity, pathogenicity sorry, of the new variant, which seemingly escaped or was leaked out of Wuhan. I have one data point which might support the emergence of a new deadly strain of SARS-CoV-2 from Wuhan. In this WSJ article from August 20, they describe a CDC early warning system for pandemics, which is based on listening for keywords across the global internet. In the article, they describe a post which was flagged by the CDC early warning system from a Wuhan Health Ministry website on December 31st, 2019, which had this recommendation, avoid closed public places and crowded places with poor air circulation. Know that to me, this is the first evidence that pathogen was circulating in Wuhan with novel characteristics, i.e. the ability to transmit through the air. That is the only reason why a health ministry website would tell the public suddenly that they should avoid closed public places and crowded places with poor air circulation. I maintain that the Chinese knew immediately this thing was airborne. The article then goes on to casually state that the website post was taken down within hours, but it spooked the CDC and it spooks me to learn of it. I believe this was the first warning that something big and bad had just been leaked or escaped and spelled trouble due to its high transmission properties. Um, it was at this point that I was recovering. <laughs> well, well, no, I wasn't. I was, well, yeah, I guess the, I was over the worst by the 31st. But I was um, <laughs> coming back from one of the, or perhaps the biggest super spreader event in Asia and perhaps the world, which was um, Daegu, South Korea. Um, anyway, that's uh, something I talk about too often. So, uh, I don't know what's happened to Charles. I, I suppose, uh, I hope his internet's okay. Uh, let's see. And by that time, the WHO declared a pandemic and then all-cause mortality started to rise should be understood as that a real pandemic of a newly high-transmissible respiratory pathogen had erupted, and thus the all-cause mortality increases were not secondary to WHO declaration of the pandemic 
fear-mongering and lockdowns, but instead reflected the reality that a rapidly spreading viral illness syndrome was affecting a lot of people. Yes, the timing of the rise in all-cause mortality started only after the WHO pandemic declaration, which is troubling to contemplate. However, as little as I want to give the WHO credit for any decision that they made, the declaration appeared to be supported by the clinical reality on the ground. And again, this is, um, I would agree, and this is why, you know, you should be wary of transnational organisations and the ability to subvert your sovereign um, capacity to make decisions on your own and what you should and shouldn't do. Uh, Yes, the timing of the rise in all-cause mortality started only after the WHO pandemic declaration, which is troubling to contemplate. However, as little as I want to give the WHO credit for any decision they have made, the declaration appeared to be supported by the clinical reality on the ground. Lots of people getting sick, with a minority getting really sick, a minority of a suddenly very large number of infected people, such that this minority overwhelmed numerous urban areas in terms of hospital capacity. I know this did not happen everywhere. I personally do not have the knowledge or expertise to explain the transmission patterns globally, but my best guess is something nefarious contributed to the anomalous spread, something as preposterous as deliberate widespread release in certain targeted cities and areas. So there we would fall into um, biowarfare paradox. And this is, again, what I think we're looking at. And um, you, must, you must be able to um, explore the totality of the of the evidence in this instance um you can't just hang on to comfort blankets like we can't we can't detect viruses uh, rixie sleeping on the job um i don't know it's kind of odd it says it just says his mic's off so he says it's still connected to zoom um. <sighs> Let's see. Talp yacht boys, maybe. Psycho, are you Mrs. Cooey? <laughs> um. Uh, do these guys also show for the HIV AIDS hoax as well? Oh, yeah. uh, poor psycho you're going to be in for a rough time uh, here I'm afraid <laughs> um, let's see Rollapola says it replicates inside bacteria in the gut so people crap it out that can be for years yep 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 Scientists, Saigo says, scientists of the Wuhan Institute under the careful guidance supervision of People's Liberation Army Ideological Bureau and CCP. Yeah, look, um, <laughs> Chinese biowarfare programs are highly suspicious at the moment, as are the US's, as are a whole bunch of other countries, including my favorite hobby horse. Uh, we all know that. Here, um, let's see. Yeah, Saigo, you should join uh, the Discord. Go to mccairndojo.com. Whilst we're waiting for Charles, I'll use this moment just to remind everyone um, it's only possible to do this stream uh, because because of your support um, today. <laughs> I tried to, uh, I'll try to throw shekels at uh, Charles. Um, Charles is, look, Charles 
<laughs> doing this for a living now and um we need to uh we don't support the people that are actually fighting for you um you're uh you're screwed all right invite Cygirl. uh yeah i mean whilst uh charles is uh i don't know what's happened to him but let me just try i, I must be it must be some other call or i mean he's been talking with me all all evening on his end. Let's just try this. That is probably really loud for everyone. Sorry. That's really that's really strange behaviour from Charles. I hope he's okay. Uh, let's see. Restream bot cat says I believe Correlation Canada did extensive research. This is fucking Rancor's work, and again, um, your skew, your data is skewed by looking at one place, and then as you heard Yeadon say, well, we couldn't really tell from and look at Charles' work where you can see spread across the country. He linked to uh, the. <laughs> His drive where he's done all the plotting that should have been done by uh, Rancor. And um, you can clearly see the move across the country, etc. And um, it's it's a hyper-focus on um, a selective data set to try to derive uh, a conclusion that confirms to or concords with your confirmation biases, I'm afraid. Personally, I do think there was something new, but it just wasn't tremendously deadly. It did hit some people really bad. Yeah, what you would expect from a biowarfare incapacitation agent. Now, the problem is, as we've drilled down into the molecular biology folks, what we've come to understand is that there are prion-catalyzing epitopes in the most labile part of that peptide, which gets cleaved either from the virus or the vaccine. And we don't know what that means. Right now, the data that we have to hand points to its ability to catalyze prion into the scrapey form and the best model we have of unrestricted uh, flow of prions within a population right now is look at chronic wasting disease chronic wasting disease which very likely is a product of biological warfare research No messages or anything from Charles. I really hope he's okay. That is weird. Either either his internet must have dropped off or something has happened to him. Uh, let's see. Uh, sorry, missed that. Where is the plotting? Uh, Charles Substack, Prometheus Shrugged. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a whole bunch of links there. Um, proper analysis from a biological warfare expert all right um we're stuck on wtyl homepage sorry um i'll put that back um doo -doo 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 -doo. there we go 
let's see. So let's move on. Anyway, uh, so we've got to the point where Pierre Curie um, is highly suspicious that he thinks there's been deliberate malfeasance in this series of events that we've had to, well, we've been subjected to. I'm uh, that would concord with again um, the use of bio warfare for tactical and strategic reasons. And the simple fact is now that we now that now that we have definitive proof that those amyloid segments are human prion catalyzing, um, that changes the calculations. Maybe he's sleeping. He was talking in. in mid-sentence i don't think he would have fell asleep maybe maybe it doesn't matter um let's see carrie mullis pcr <laughs> again people grabbing onto what carrie mullis was saying right so the way you use pcr is that you can uh you, it should be used when someone has symptoms that's the only time you can use it how was it used for covid well in an in an instance where they've they the authorities would say, oh, this concords with biological warfare. In fact, if they were part of the um, collusion to release such agents, what you would do is you would have to have as full spectrum surveillance as you could around the country, just so you could um, keep an eye on what your uh, tools were doing and so that's why you scan everyone and then you ramp up counts and that up count gives you an indicator as much as sort of saying oh we've got we just hit a, uh, a case and we can put one case there because you can start seeing when it comes down as well and these are all metrics that they would take what i say when you see or how it would work in a bio warfare scenario a lot of the decisions they were taking make far more sense Uh, let's see. Anyway, beyond the evidence about the novel pathogen with significant airborne transmissibility likely emerged from Wuhan in December 2020 is the fact that Fauci et al. immediately embarked on a massive cover-up of their bioweapons research being implicated, if not obvious gain-of-function re research. If not obvious, gain-of-function research is bioweapons research. Why did they go to such lengths to cover up the origin of a pathogen that didn't exist? Okay, back to the novel pathogen argument. I'll relate some of the key points that I believe the non-clinicians overlook and why I maintain this was a novel and severe disease. Outside of a biopsy of tissue or culture of a pathogen, there is no uniquely diagnostic criteria for any disease. Certainly no single radiographic finding, symptom or lab abnormality. All such findings are always by definition non-specific as they can be found in a number of diseases. The organs of the human body have a narrow range of symptoms they can express when sick. Thus many different illnesses share symptoms and lab abnormalities yeah, because your body essentially is trying to fight off infection. And now we're in the uh, strange scenario of the IgG4 metric or whatever you would call it right now. <laughs> I don't know. The, the fact that um, they've caused this IgG4 switching and people would not amount a normal immune response to a viral pathogen, again, adds to the, you know, did they know that this was ha would happen? They knew it happened from HIV vaccines. And if, if the goal in this instance was to 
amplify prion epitopes circulating in the environment, well, that's what you would do, right? You would make it so that the body wouldn't try and um, uh, kill cells producing the uh, the peptide. You would just treat it as um, like you do pollen, and then you're you're circulating more and more of the uh, pathogen and the toxic epitopes, and they're filling and filling up the environment. Now, someone argued to me that that is not the case. Where was I? Um, all such findings are always by definition non-specific, as they can be found in a number of diseases. The organs of the human body have a narrow range of symptoms they can express when sick. Thus, many different illnesses shared symptoms, lab or abnormalities. Learning how to discern among overlap, uh, overlapping symptoms, findings and blood tests and radiographic abnormalities is literally the core skill of a medical doctor and why training is so long and why we need to see so many thousands of patients in order to acquire sufficient diagnostic capability. And again, all these people that would say that there's no new pathogen do not have that training. It is abundantly obvious that these people have zero understanding of what clinical data and training means. They think everything concords to basic um, math equations that have been derived from behaviors in petri dishes. Well, yes. But... Hey, you're back, dude. Where'd you go? Oh, well, I, I just realized that my, my stuff had been on mute. So I, I actually said some stuff earlier. Not knowing that I couldn't be heard. No shit. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. I was getting worried, man. No, I've been sitting here laughing along with you. And I, okay. And I was assuming I could be heard, so I'm still here. Okay, good. Good. Um. All right. So, and this is such a critical point about, um, and it's why I talk about it so often, is that I know from my training. Right, that you, it takes years to understand the overlap between the systems that you're specializing in and how they emerge at the organism level and how the interactions occur across multiple scales. And, and, and again, the fact that these people would come in and think that, um, you know, the a viral spread must be like a stab wound and the spreading of blood from that wound. Um, that's, it, it's a asinine way of um, thinking about, well, a very, very complex environment and how these, how these pathogens interact. Right, right. But, but how dare you um, try to, recognize symptoms in yourself and and then dare think that there must be a novel virus because it, it, what hubris you must have to assume that that you could live through an experience and and be able to conclude that maybe it's different than other things you've had before how dare you mm. 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 So obnoxious. Yes. So obnoxious. Now, Charles' voice is too low. Is that true? 
Speak, um, speak louder, Charles. Everyone was saying it was okay before. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I changed it because I was calling you on Skype. Sorry, that's uh, that's me again. Um, to bear with me. See, you can't even handle the volume. <laughs> what makes you think you could understand viruses? <laughs> <sighs> like in terms of setup, right? It's probably on par with the like interface that I would have to use for the monkey. I suppose there's less programming involved, but um, <laughs> just in terms of connections and fucking layered yeah. software that just breaks down all the time and all the prep you put in was just for naught, etc. Um, uh, monkeys aren't real. Yeah. All right. You know what, dude? I thought I was just hallucinating. And I don't know. In the winter, there's always this one. We call them stink bugs here. Um, well, I don't know what the Japanese name is, but there's always one in this room. And somehow he's climbed onto my microscope and he's walking under the objective. <laughs> <laughs> and uh. when, I don't know, like, living things are moving right it has a sort of you, you're keyed into that sort of motion right and it's hyper magnified in the corner of my eye so all, the, all those sort of uh, alert mechanisms are going work you know there could be a, a massive spider about to eat you like one of those old tarzan <laughs> episodes do you, do, do you oh, used, used to watch those you you, you I, I know what you're talking about. I know, you know, where they, they have Mechagodzilla versus... Oh, no, I'm talking about like when, when I was a kid, dude. There was... Yeah, the, the TV shows where they, they superimpose the, the spider as if it's giant. Yeah. No, no, no. I, I was just... I was more thinking of the older Tarzan episodes. Oh, no, I'm not that old. Sorry. <laughs> just... <laughs> that was like... Because there was nothing on TV, right? It's like you would get stuff from like the 1930s that are reduced to, and th uh, this was at the time when in the 70s there was the cool Tarzan as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, oh. And they'd be like, and it'd be in the newspaper, Tarzan. I'd be like, great, Tarzan's on. And then it'd be the black and white version, and you'd be like, ah, fuck. How <laughs> <laughs> oh, were the other ones they used to do? Uh, Man from Atlantis. That was that was a great one. There's a whole bunch of those um, uh, Hollywood seventies. Uh, yeah, let's let's get back to the <laughs> right. Okay, to the, to the man to the man from Atlantis science. Right. So. <laughs> okay. So furthermore, what must be recognised is that COVID nineteen is not just a few viral symptoms, but rather presents as a syndrome. This is important. With a wide the word syndrome, yes. Mm -mm -mm. You have to you have to learn the nuances in this language. Um let's see. Let's see. There's no reason to isolate the virus. It would give people ammo and kill off this goofball narrative that disabling SARS CoV two exists. Um I can assure you that it does. Sorry. Um it doesn't you can try to go and appeal to uh tom cowan and uh their nonsense um you can't get past 
well, all, all the sequencing, but nanopore sequencing breaks breaks the no virus um, contention. Sorry, sorry, they're out there. They're isolatable, predictable. We can find them, manipulate them, and we can use them as bio warfare agents. We can load them up with prion catalyzing epitopes. It's that simple. Yes, but that's hubris, Kevin, because because everyone knows that it's much more likely that they faked all 16 million sequences. Right. Well, it's just computer code, Charles. Anyone can do that. It's just yeah, letters. It's just... <laughs> just letters. Oh, God. Anyway. <laughs> All right. Um, are you recommending clot shots for seniors? I uh, know. No, stay away from the vaccine. You need to understand, right? This is you're, you're dealing with binary weapon system. The 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 political and social responses are part of that weapon system. The people that deployed this weapon system understood it from the molecular to the macro, and they fired it at you. And potentially, what they fired at you is prion catalyzing epitopes that are shedding and building up in the environment right now. Yeah, the, 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 the fact that I was infected with something a year before I was, yes, I was jabbed because I was an idiot and I didn't know. And, and now I'm dealing with long COVID, which yes, could have come from either one of those things. And, and it, but the hubris to sit here and just completely write off all the science mm. is well. You could they they literally have to argue that all science is fake mm. and gay mm. when it's not. Mm. Just because some of it is doesn't mean that all of it. Is. Yeah, there's a, a spectrum. Like syndrome. Oh, oh, they're on the spectrum. <laughs> they're on the spectrum. <sighs> um, I was going to say something, but I forgot. Yeah, that's because well, long COVID isn't real, so it must be, must be, your memory problems must be caused by something else. So. <laughs> right. Yeah, anatomy and physiology—that's that's all fake. That MRI I did—that's gay. It doesn't mean anything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, let's see. Right. Uh, we got to syndrome. Uh, so it's a syndrome with a wide but predictable constellation of findings. And although a number of the abnormalities are non-specific when they present in clusters or simultaneously, then you can differentiate COVID as a unique and or novel syndrome by comparing to how pre-existing infectious or viral diseases and syndromes present. Also know that in medicine, since it is rare for any single test, symptom of physical exam finding to be diagnostic of a single disease, what physicians do as a core skill is to amass all the presenting data, including history of present illness, triggers, timeline, context, contributing factors, medical history, travel. Physical exam findings, lab and radiographic abnormalities, etc. Yeah, those x-rays, man, they're just punking everyone when they're... <laughs> That's just well. Uh, I mean, it's I random did, noise I on was, a photographic plate. I mean, I was 
I was in the hospital. And of course, the last two weeks, let's see, I've had x-rays, CT scans. Mm. Um, so I, not really. I guess I'm just, 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 just there so, to milk so your insurance. So all of that was... <laughs> it's all a Jewish trick. Oh, man. All right, I have to stop laughing so much. But, but I can't help it. They, they yeah, have to stop making this so ridiculous. Going around <laughs> thinking this stuff. They are. Yeah. Right. That we can't yeah. measure shit. <laughs> Just... Stop using internet. Stop using anything. <laughs> Just go, go back and live in a fucking cave with no antibiotics or antivirals. Or... <laughs> Well, I mean, that is what they said. That's, that is what the first ER said. They didn't give me antibiotics. But once again, that's, that's a failure of the medical system, not, of, not, not the fact that viruses aren't real. Mm. So, mm. All right. So we've got to radiographic abnormalities, generate differential diagnosis, ranking the likelihood that patient's presentation is one disease or another. Something like, these findings strongly support COVID-19 given bilateral ground glass opacities on CT, typical viral symptoms, illness beginning after a holiday period, where a number of, other fa a, a number of others also subsequently fell ill. Elevations in D-dimer, CPR, ESR, low lymphocytes. This is a key one, right? Um, the fact that they were getting uh, lymphocytopenia and the D-dimer, right? Those uh, those uh, anxiety cases are always uh, throwing up uh, amyloidogenic microclots and uh, thromboses everywhere. <laughs> it, just, it happens all the time, people dropping left, right and center. That's right. Well, I mean, it does happen all the time in, in AIDS, but just those those CJD cases. Virus. That was uh... that's another virus, though. So I can't be real. What HIV? Yeah, it can't be real. It's gay. <laughs> well, it actually is. <laughs> Thanks, gay people. <laughs> Sorry, Nick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can take it now. I've uh, I've uh, hardened and tempered him for. Uh... Oh man. Oh jeez. All right. Uh, let's see. I'll just catch up with the track real quick. Um, what do you think of the flu jab? As my bro got his kid, who's six years old, a flu spray. What the fuck happened to building immunity? Look, I would be very, very skeptical of any corporate medicine in the current environment. I really would. Until until we can untangle what's happened, and the the simple fact is, a, a a proper analysis of all the data points to something something nefarious happening around bio warfare. Exactly what it's hard to say, but as we <coughs> as you're scrabbling around in minutia, you're missing the bigger picture, which is that you you go off um, effect. What is the effect, right, when a weapon is deployed? What effect is it going to have on target? And holy shit, man, when that goddamn thing moves under the objective lens, it literally, I know what it is, but I still, like, my heart just sort of like, boom, it's an immediate fucking thing. I should just squash it. <laughs> I can't know. He's been I mean, in yeah. years. <laughs> wow. Wow. 
it, it was interesting that someone mentioned flu mist because actually the more that I know, first of all, the first time I received um, a flu mist vaccine, I wanted, could be wrong on this. Okay, maybe it wasn't the first one. But in 2009, I received a flu mist, if I remember correctly. Could be wrong on this. I think that was the H1N1. Um, it was one of the prototypes that they were checking. And I was in the Marine Corps. So we all got flu mist every year starting, I want to say like 2004 or five. And in 2009, it could have been a vaccine, could have been a flu mist vaccine. But in that case, I think that's actually an example of a good vaccine um, methodology because it's, it's not an injection. Mm. It is going directly into your mucosa. Mm. So for what it's worth, oral polio vaccines, um, flu mist, I do think that is the general direction that we should go. Mm. And it's also, um, and I think that's also why the, and the they, fact they, that they for sure should all be voluntary not well yeah they should all be voluntary but I, but i but i think that's why um like nasal sprays and stuff like that we should expect them to be more effective and so, and so you can't once again you can't throw the baby out with a bathwater mm. so just wanted to throw that out there Father Podgers has killed that stink bug like its last name is Kaufman. You know what? The way. <laughs> Seriously, yeah. dude, like the physiological response to like, I, I know what it is, but because it's in the corner of my eye and just the. Uh, it's a hard. Oh, to do. I know exactly. I know exactly what you're saying. Like right now, one of the problems is my whatever, whatever is wrong with me. Is getting much easily more easily tripped. So, like, um, as it, my blood pressure right now is far more susceptible to, to, you know, little spikes from uh, right. weather changes, and little spikes from yeah. things like yeah. loud noises that you weren't expecting, or things like that. So, I totally get it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. But if, long I, if, if I see him, I might splat him just for that. <laughs> <laughs> asshole <laughs> right uh, so significant hypoxia without an accompanying increased work of breathing which was a unique feature of SARS um, dropping dropping O2 levels but the um, the lack of um, distress that would occur uh, very much like that's actually very much like I wonder if it's an effect of all these different things they did to the virus to make it like in some ways it was tightening their immune response, but in other ways it was trying to subvert the immune response. And I wonder if that's one of the byproducts of that. I so, want to I want to say it was if, if you go back and look at the early studies about um, its interaction with was it neuropillin and VEGF. And it was able oh, to yeah. slow down um, spiking for sensory neurons. Oh, God, it's been four years since I looked at that study. Um, yeah. 
something like that. That does sound familiar. It's mm. been a long time. Mm. But the, the the it's essentially acting almost like an endorphin, right? And so, and that why why would that be? Well, it's evolutionarily advantageous because you would carry on as normal whilst again accruing a higher viral load and you know yeah that's an that's a that's a and i wish um oh god um steve steve massey um he's an expert on molecular mimicry and and how things and to me that kind of or or how sorry well charles but uh all those um amino acids and uh (laughs) those aren't real they're just yeah, quantum, they don't do quantum wave fluxes. Yep, um, they're just just vibrations in the in the plank lengths or whatever. Ah, <laughs> oh, Jesus! It's all just one consciousness. <laughs> if you just if you just believe in the one, nothing will happen to you. All right. Um, you, you know, you know, if somebody if somebody hasn't listened to any of our streams prior to this one, they're wonder they're probably wondering why we're going off so frequently <laughs> and making fun of all this. But the truth is, we've been fighting this battle for so long uh, that we just can't help it. I mean, mm, mm. oh man, it, it's well. I, I, I've gone past the point of saying, okay, I'm just going to pull this paper, this paper, this paper. Um, if if people haven't got it at this point, um, I don't think you can. There's just going to be a whole bunch that will be uh, essentially deer in the headlights. And you know, as the cancer kicks in, as the neurodegeneration kicks in, and the I was just about to say the chronic wasting disease, mm. and the, with the deer in the headlights, yeah. Mm. I don't know. You, you'd sort of gone radio silent, but you know, I was making a point that if what they've done is seed the environment, right? That it, it proved to me that the that prion catalyzing epitope in the that labile cleaved peptide sequence was just by accident right it, it just it, it doesn't make um any sort of molecular or evolutionary sense in this instance not especially with the sort of orthodox type of well that, that's that's why they have to resort to completely undercutting science because ultimately they they don't have good explanations for all of these for all the evidence that we see so they just have to try to cut it off at the base Mm. yeah yeah and you know they'll amplify all the nonsense these are the look what's the face in the chat tiger you you've been Taken by the weaponized psychological psychological operations by de facto are weaponized. The fact that you think there's no such thing as viruses, they want you to think that. Because then you don't go looking for the bioweapon programs and you don't go looking for the people that made these things that have essentially fired these weapons at you and your family, your loved ones. And all the chaos that comes with it. And the simple fact is, there were apex predators poised to suck up all the, well, ill-gotten gains 
I guess would be. Well, and to their credit, um, they, the people who are arguing that there's, you know, no virus or no spreadable virus or, or whatever, they've latched on to part of it, which is that yes, there are these vultures circling around us trying to take advantage of this. Mm. And, and they may have even, and, caused and it, we believe of course that they caused it, but, but you still have to understand that, that it's more complicated than that. And, uh, but, but yes. And part of, part of creating and sowing the confusion is, is amplifying this bullshit. So, that there's no viruses. The no virus thing can only get so far. So now you amplify. Oh, there's no pandemic. <laughs> Put out a tit like Rancor and uh, throw some uh, throw some dumbass equations onto a page and some shitty graphs and some. Uh, <laughs> can I say motivated um, reasoning? Yes, but pe- but people, you know, are comparing him to Einstein or. You know, some sort of heroic. So, can viruses exist on a surface external to the human body? Better think before you answer. That is emphatically <laughs> yes, they can. You are surrounded by fucking virions. Okay, you are surrounded by these <laughs> protein and uh, it, its aggregation into complex forms. It's in well, some way, it's a mystery of life. But you know what? We're very good at categorizing it and finding it and detecting it. Sorry. Right, but Ke- but Kevin, you didn't you didn't think about it before you said it, so you couldn't possibly be able to defend that. Let's see. Daniel says, "Did Charles contact Catherine Watt and discuss legal implications?" No, not yet. Um, well, I have contacted her, and we've exchanged uh, emails and, and now phone numbers. And uh, I'm going to do a podcast with her, and we'll probably set one up with Kevin as well. But but first, I want to speak offline with her um, about a whole bunch of, of different things because <laughs> she has, but she she's been exposed to this no virus crowd, and I. I and she's she's not like fallen into it, but at the same time, she's. I still want to make sure that she has some some real context, some better context than what she's been getting from Sasha Latipova and others. Right. So. It's graphene, dude. It's... <laughs> look, it's Gra- it's not it's not to say that that look a, a complex material like that for sure is going to be a big factor in technology emergent technologies right now but there's no graphene in those vaccines what you have to worry about is the toxic epitopes that they fired at you um yes but how uh, yeah but how can you say that kevin it's not like you looked at the vaccines themselves and uh <laughs> right. but people 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 come into your stream not realizing that you are one of the few people on the planet who has publicly you might be the only people, that, person that's actually streamed your lab mm. as you were testing vials, and they're sitting here trying to tell you that that what you saw in the lab mm. 
that you streamed live for 12 boring hours at a time <laughs> uh, wasn't real. <laughs> right. Oh, geez. How do they fire it at you? Um, through multiple attack vectors. Um, release. Yep. Um, spread in populations. And you have to remember that it's, it's a binary weapon system. Okay. So if the goal is to increase the levels of these amyloids, these prions in the environment, right? So, you, of course, you've got to spook them with the psychological operations. You can't, that doesn't work without there actually being effects on the ground. But your main goal is to, you've got to breach the immune barriers and then you've got to get the body expressing those prion-like epitopes in multiple organ systems. And what did, what did we read last week? That the, at the translation level, right, it's possible to be forming um, multiple, multiple types of prion-like peptides. And they're only really just honing in on what they do. But what they did find is it just takes, well, I'm trying to remember the word they use now, uh, va vanishingly, vanishingly small amounts. Femptograms are infective. And you, you, <laughs> femtogram. <laughs> people don't understand how small that is. Right, right. Oh, geez. We should, uh, what I'm trying to, how do I have that paper up here? This is it. No, not this one. What is femtogram? Is that a quadrillion kilogram? <laughs> I can't remember. I, I or smaller say, than that. I actually. want to say it's 12 to the minus 12. <laughs> so let me, let me uh, flex my... Uh, so what negative power of grams is a Ten to the what did I say? Ten to the negative twelve. It's ten to the negative fifteen. <laughs> yeah, one quadrillionth of a gram. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and people are making uh. that. So here we are. Just just for people who are new here, because there's a there's a new bunch here, right? Transcript er errors generate a continuous stream of amyloid and prion-like proteins in human cells. Okay. And I'll just read, uh, let's see, I'll just read the whole thing as, as they're new here. Aging is characterized by the accumulation of amyloid and prion-like proteins. However, the molecular mechanisms by which these proteins arise remain unclear. Here we demonstrate that transcript errors generate amyloid and prion-like proteins. So what they're talking about is the interaction between your cellular machinery and mRNA. What have they just fired at you? in a tissue agnostic, highly labile lipid nanoparticle that is in itself highly inflammatory and toxic. Just there ready to pour gasoline on the ground as you start making these transcript errors of amyloids and prions. 
So here we demonstrate that transcript errors generate amyloid and prion-like proteins in a wide variety of human cell types, including stem cells, brain organoids, and fully differentiated neurons. Intriguingly, some of these proteins are identical to proteins previously implicated in familial cases of amyloid diseases, raising the possibility that both familial and non-familial cases are caused by identical mutant proteins. However, transcript errors also generate amyloid proteins that have not been observed before, suggesting that aging cells are exposed to a second class of pathogenic proteins we are currently unaware of you know what there are some people who are aware of them the fact that we figured this out and what you've seen is de facto evidence of this and once you understand this little once you've got this lens suddenly a whole, it all makes sense not all of it but, you know, it's, <laughs> most of it <laughs> Well, more than uh, no virus or Garfinos Spectaculos. Right. <laughs> it goes on. Finally, we show that transcript errors are readily generated by DNA damage, a hallmark of human aging, a staple of multiple prototoxic diseases, including Alzheimer's disease. Together, these observations greatly expand our understanding of mutagenesis in human aging and disease and suggest a new mechanism by which amyloid diseases can develop. They fired. Oh, I wonder if you. I wonder if you can make a calculation of how many. Ask ChatGPT. I don't know if this would work, but calculate in grams how much spike protein would have been expressed. With both viral and vaccine exposure with SARS. Oh, I wonder if it can do that. Uh, let's see. Well, it's obviously complex, etc. These factors include viral load. Da, 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 da. However, I can provide a general approach to how such a calculation might be theoretically structured. Viral infection, the amount of spike protein during a viral infection depends on the viral load. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Vaccinations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Combining the two. Yes, yes, yes. In summary, while the theoretical framework for such calculations exists, the quantification in grams of spike protein produced uh, requires specialized laboratory management. Um, just guesstimate for fun how much it could be sometimes you can't speak to it just by sure let's make a rough estimate lovely <laughs> right <laughs> <laughs> whilst it's doing that um i'll, I'll go back to reading uh, not rank or uh so every time you say rank every, sorry Every time you say Rancor, I think of the the monster from Star Wars. It was in the Return of the Jedi in Jabba the Hutt's palace. Oh, the one in Tried the pit. Correct, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rancor, anyway. Okay, so just for... Um, Total mass of spike protein produced um, for vaccines 
assuming two doses, 10 to the 9 spike proteins dose, two doses equals 2 times 10 to the 9. Okay. Mass of a single protein. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Total mass of spike proteins produced. 6.7 nanograms. Um, yeah, that's per body. So, wow. Assuming, I don't know. Let's let's be conservative. Half the world population produced that amount. What would the total be? Well, if it's nanograms, it should be grams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm assuming. I want to say I'm going for 6,000, but it would be approximately 26.13 grams. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, so, working with. A standard infective dose of scrapey prion. How many people could be infected with, what should we say, perfect? Because essentially it's a, it's a perfect distribution system they got, right? Near as perfect. Right. Um, well, I mean, if femtograms. Yeah. So uh, we could just say, working as standard, how many people could be infected with. Everyone. Yeah. It would be everyone <laughs> multiple times over with. Yeah. With 26.7 grams, presuming. Equal exposure across the same amount. I mean, I'm just doing this for fun, but it's just a, a full exercise. And time of exposure. Well, what you're really saying, you're really comparing the... Are, are you trying to compare the infectiousness? Or are you trying to compare... The potential, I don't know if shedding is the right word. Yeah, yeah. So, if, in like a, in a perfect scenario, right? Just where, uh, let's just assume. I don't know how many people got vaccinated. What would we say? Um, Three billion. Four billion. Four billion. Four billion with m Four billion with mRNA. So four billion people. Let's. So four billion people got dosed with prion catalyzing agent, and were and are essentially now producing and shedding into the environment human-specific scrapey prions? I, I mean, it, depending upon, you know, variables like if translation error rates and... Yeah, yeah, I mean, you, you, you would know, have to take all like those that, in, but, into... But imagine yeah, you've got the but, perfect Petri dish. And... Well, so, well, the, the other answer to that then would be, okay, but if you only need a femtogram... Mm. Femtogram levels of something, and you're producing nanogram amounts of spike, then 
you only need like one out of every stupidly small number of those to actually produce if if it is catalyzing human protein then you only you only need some vanishingly vanishingly small fraction of those nanogram amounts of spike in each person to actually trigger the cascade in the long term so yeah. Expo exponentially profoundly more dangerous yes yes I, this this is what people don't get and the the best example you have right now is look at chronic wasting disease now the difference we have from our perspective is there there are countermeasures you can take in this instance somewhat somewhat so first number one young people you've got to have children because you've got to get through the um, you've got to get through the evolutionary bottleneck, and that that will only yep. come through um, pressure and adaptation. And then you, you need anyone else just needs to hang on long enough, and you've got to use every every tool set to minimise the prion cascade. I don't know if selection pressure in the human timescales is, is is effective enough on its own. I don't uh, say that again. I don't know if so. If if evolutionary, if human evolutionary selection pressures is enough, is fast enough to overcome well, that on with, its own. With... I think like they'll need. They'll have to use like CRISPR type. Well, if 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 they if they wanted to get more people through, right, to hedge bets, but if the the super prion hypothesis is real, looking at the molecular evidence, right, it's why it's why we have the veiling um, polymorphism instead of methionine. Right. So it's happened before. And that that's a sort of literal marker of that event. And so in this instance, there would have to be some other other change. And I would presume there would be that could interact and confer advantage. Well, and, imagine if that imagine if the evolutionary bottleneck was seventy thousand years ago was caused by a prion instead of like a, a meteor or something. Hmm. Uh then yes, I suppose that would be somewhat hopeful, except they got down to maybe a thousand breeding pairs or less. <laughs> so yeah. It's not it's not really a game you want to play. Right. And when you think about it, right, so imagine so ir irrespective of um an, a deliberate release into the environment, something something catastrophic happens that causes breakdowns that it increases the threshold for prion disease to begin spreading among a population, which would be collapse of supply chains, etc. And then, I'm sorry, but most people, well, there will be some who just can't do it. But those that can't do it, you're just going to be lunch for someone else that can. That's the yeah. that's the gambit at this point. <laughs> um. But yeah, um, for those that are new here, Super Prion, um, that's a real, real thing. 
or real hypothesis and uh, there's molecular evidence to support the case in the human archaeogenome. We might we might be slightly getting off topic here, but um, let's see. The last time superprions were here, the world wasn't connected by air travel. Very true. Very true. It's very true. Mm. And like I say, that the fact that there isn't more alarm bells ringing around this, and every well, it kind of it kind of in a way sort of confirms to me that oh yeah, they we can't spook the herd now. <laughs> 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 keep it on the down low <laughs> alright let me just uh, what's so natural about selection oh my god it's high girls <laughs> you, just, you just need to uh... <laughs> oh god step away from any technology and um <laughs> Oh man, ah, I gotta stop laughing so much. Uh, let's see. Uh, All right, I'll, I'll, I'll move on. So uh, let's see. We were we're talking about D dimer, right? CPI, ESR, low lymphocytes, hypoxia, an abrupt improvement in oxygenation after administration of ivermectin, and that's a crucial, critical uh, clinical. Um, axiom is that um, you have to have uh, construct validity it's called which is that um, your unpredictive validity with your intervention so you're making you're making the assumption that ivermectin is useful what is it useful against and what does it do and you can and like I say I, I'm I'm not Pierre Corey I didn't see I didn't have the hands-on experience of giving ivermectin in a um, clinically relevant situation, right, where it's essentially life or death. And I'm, I've seen enough evidence to suggest why there would be mechanisms that ivermectin would work. Um, I've got ivermectin. And I would, you know, there's... There's reasons why we have drugs, right? Molecular biology enables interaction. And we we have, you know, for all our failings, come to this point where we can make these, um, or find something like ivermectin, and which is essentially a bacterial, I can't remember what it was, if it was some structural protein or secretion, whatever, but associated with some soil bacteria, right? From good old Japan. Yeah, I can't remember. <laughs> yep, that was Japanese. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Off a golf course, apparently. Nobel Prizes aren't real. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, some of them aren't. But... Right, right. Or ill-deserved, like... Uh... I've forgotten her name now, but the RNA... Yeah, Kathleen Kakadiko or no, not Kakademon. Uh, Kakad. No, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. 
Uh, let's see. Yeah. So administration of ivermectin. For example, further, I would also then write bacterial pneumonia is less favoured given bilateral findings versus unilateral lack of consolidation on CT, dry cough, unproductive of phlegm, lack of elevated neutrophil count, lack of pleurisy, obvious contagiousness as per history. Know that in the above examples, I chose a relatively clean set of findings, which allows one to rule in or rule out a diagnosis. Certainly there were times where the totality of findings may be less discriminating as to cause, but in general, hospital phase COVID presented very similarly. The strongest point that I can make is that even is that even if not all features below were present in the hospitalized patient, generally most of them were present. And I had never seen a syndrome with such reproducibility of this constellation of symptoms and findings, thus leading to what I felt was a high specificity of diagnosis. That's right, syndrome again. Mm. That's so key. It's not just one thing. It's not just, it's not just um, lack of smell or loss of smell. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, that's it's a dozen different that brain damage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Those, well, uh... and, and and well, and the fact that those symptoms were backed up by plausible mechanisms, um, both in like in the in the viral genome and like the epitopes, and then in the outcomes that you were seeing. In every in every way, there was decades of science and different disciplines built upon themselves, and not all of them were fake. Mm. They just weren't. Mm. And at, at the end of the day, in, in its, I want to say, perhaps most utilitarian state, what science is is just being able to make prediction. And and respond to changes, right? And you, you you can account for them in a logically coherent way. Um, now, look. Sometimes you can get to uh, you know what was, what's the epicycles, right? Where you think you're seeing one thing, but it's actually another. And uh, it's not, it's not like your observation was wrong. It's just your underlying premises were confounding your um, actual data, right? So, um, right. That's why Newton was better than Aristotle, hmm. and why Einstein was better than Newton. <laughs> yeah, because once you have a better framework, things make more sense. Yeah, that. Um, what were you here? No, you weren't here when. Uh, <laughs> but just Oppenheimer, that great scene from Oppenheimer. Where they're like, they split the atom. Impossible! Look! And he's writing out all the equations, takes him a day. and uh, Yeah, you told me about it. Rutherford comes in and goes, ah, we've just done it next door. Um, <laughs> but uh, atoms are fake and gay too, so. All right, so where were we? 
constellation of symptoms. Making a diagnosis of COVID in a hospitalized patient was not difficult. In an outpatient whereby all you have is generally mild clinical symptoms to different patients by, I completely agree that in many cases, COVID would be hard to completely differentiate from other respiratory viruses. But as the illness progressed and became severe, it had a unique set of findings on presentation and a unique trajectory once in hospital. Also know that Paul Marek was reprimanded for saving a man's life because he treated the man with a large combination of therapies which made up our COVID math plus protocol. Why was he reprimanded? Because the man had numerous negative tests for COVID, but Paul treated him for COVID based on his clinical diagnosis of the syndrome, which was pretty classic. Nothing else fit better than the diagnosis of COVID, despite the negative PCR test. So Paul treated him and he survived, but this did not stop his actions from appearing as a complaint in his personal file. You know, and this is indicative of um, how deep the the mechanisms were with respect to you know once everything was lined up to fire that they had all these gears set to mesh when something like this would come up no alternate treatments nothing you, you you're going to funnel everyone in to mass mass prion exposure and listen lick spills if if we're in a situation now where they're shedding prions it doesn't matter if you missed out and you were wise enough to not get the shots. They're building up right now. And again, yeah. think, think of deer and everything that you're touching is potentially or is, is just building up contamination. Please go and watch the streams I've done in the last few weeks, just going over um, how prions can be infective and how they can be passed uh, up from soil into plants, how transferred across common surfaces, etc. And again, um, femtograms is all that's required. Now, that's too much of an enticing target for someone who would want to use or would have the motivation to use bioweapons, right? Well, and to have enough control of the of the over, I'm trying to think of the full spectrum dominance of the of the battlefield to the point where you could convince somebody that after they survived treatment by a doctor who knew what he was talking about in the case of Corey or in the case of Americans, instance, um. So after you survive treatment, then you go after him for treating your COVID, even though you survive. Mm. But like to, to, to live in a media world where, where you, would, you would then go attack the doctor that saved your life is just stunning. It's stunning. Well, did the patient make the complaint or did the hospital? Uh well, I think that from the way that he was making it sound, that like to me, like somebody would have had to make the complaint. It made, it made it sound like the, like the man himself was. I can't, I can't believe the patient would in this instance. He's saving my life, but uh, I'm seeing. I mean, that's what that's that's what it kind of sounds like. Well, I, I mean, it sounds like administrative. Having, yes, surely. Well, yeah, but I think I think the patient has to complain before they. The administrator can take it, so they had to find a patient who was willing to do that. I don't know. Really? I, I'm, 
I mean, I've never asked Corey's Pierre, so I don't know. I mean, I, I would like, I'd like to speak to him. I mean, I'm very thankful for him. I'm, I'm kind of sort of thankful, like I was for RFK, saying, "Yeah, that those race-based weapons, uh, yeah, they've been doing that for uh, <laughs> for yeah. a long, long time." Uh, yeah, I get what you're saying. Then. Mm. Yeah, because there, there is just this fucking spurgery in this in this domain, man, and. Sometimes you just gotta knock sense into people. I can't. Oh. Why else would you uh, do this, right? I mean, I wouldn't sit here doing stuff and, and pushing the the premise that um, I would. I'm uncertain about something, but I would I would push on it and. And say, well, it was you know, like Rancor was doing. Oh, it was all vaccine that killed these people. Are you sure? You realize, you realize, this is exactly like the movie "Don't Look Up." Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we're like, we're, we're like, we're like just scientists. Who are, yeah, who are, just, just look up. <laughs> just, just, Ugh. just start measuring amyloids. There should be environment. Yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a. Good. Um, you sent that, Fred. How was it? Oh yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm. The uh, a thread using um, a wastewater sampling mm. to estimate the like the current uh, or to estimate the overall burden and incidence of uh, of COVID over the last three or four years, and. And and for my for my sake, I thought it was interesting because it's it, it is showing a decline in the overall number of cases. Yeah, but you're seeing once again a, a growing increase in um peptide though, or, or identified viral protein in this instance, which would fit with well, you you're going to seed the environment with prions, right? It hasn't gone back down to zero, right? So oh yeah, well, but but at the same time, it's um, well the the bullet has been fired, so mm. even even if it even if it's slowly losing its trajectory over time, the bullet's been fired. Yeah, but the 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 in the infection rate for identifiable SARS is going down, but as the peptide, well, let's just say the prion level is rising. Well, we're seeing incapacitation, cancers, and increased all-cause death in in cohorts that you shouldn't be seeing it in young people. Right, right. So, and which is a consequence ultimately of the bullet having been fired. So, yeah, there it is. And, and, yeah. All right. Can you see the screen? Uh, I can't. You're not sharing it. But... Oh. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> How dare you not see the screen? What's the... Um, I mean, it's okay. It's, it's the people that need to see it, right? right. Yeah, but they can't. It's just uh, I'm I'm used to Let's see. It's, but here, this is uh, the raw data. Um, so this is 
US monitoring of wastewater and um but you've got confirmed clinical cases um going down right but it's tracking very very closely um as SARS emerges and then you get the big spike and well that's a year after vaccination so that's it really sort of hitting a acceleration point in the population and then whereas it had been cycling somewhat and going back down to zero it doesn't go back down to zero and then starts to maintain a level infection rates drop off right so essentially it's sort of non-detectable by july and maybe this just hasn't been updated but now we see a continued increase in wastewater identifiable <clears throat> peptides and I, I don't know what they're checking for here spike protein i guess well, so what, one thing that I'd throw out there is that because of the, the fecund nature of the, some of the strains relative to the other, so Delta was exponentially producing more virions than you know, the original strain. Mm. And in, that did increase but only to a certain degree. So I don't know if they've corrected for that assumption. So it could be that there's, it could just be that there's fewer people getting infected, but they're carrying higher viral loads. Um, so you might have to correct for that somewhat, but ultimately um, yeah, you can but still they, gain. But they could, they could, they could be the, carrying, right? And in a, so th this is the IgG4, Oh, it is true, yes. Um, uh, Correct, yeah. So they're tolerating and just building up and building up, which is exactly the mechanism that you would want if you really wanted to stick the knife in with the prion exposure. Get in, Get in there. Right into your brainstem. Pentagrams <laughs> <sighs> aren't real. The virus that exists has not been fully characterized. Uh, characterized enough for me to tell you that it's got a prion catalyzing epitope. And when I'm sitting here telling you that, you probably want to sit up and take notice. That's what I would say. Yeah, but you're just a neuroscientist. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get back in your kill box. <laughs> Licks, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, we'll we'll all be lick spittle soon. We'll all be drooling on ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, th that that's the thing that's where's the uh, here, right? Uh, listen, lick spills. Um, when the big money says that prion disorders are going to be the growth industry for the next seven years, you might want to pay attention. If you don't want to listen to the neuroscientist, listen to the people that play markets, right? I don't know. Well, you know, I don't, um, there's no, uh, there's no going back to uh, orthodox career for me. <laughs> It'll be. Uh... <laughs> oh man! It'll be uh, shit tier uh, podcasts and <laughs> for my future. But at least I could say I was right. God damn it! My kids are draped in rags. I say, your puppy stood there and 
<laughs> didn't milk the system when he could. <laughs> yeah, well, unlike some. Unlike some, yeah. Uh, all right, we still haven't finished this. Uh, this. All right, so number five. Again, the specificity was a cluster of findings, not any individual one. When eight out of ten findings are present, you have a diagnosis. When six out of ten, you still have a confident diagnosis. And then just to add to the complexity, there are also, like with any disease we study and treat, atypical presentations, like my oldest and best friend, who simply got nauseous, started projectile vomiting, went to hospital and was eventually diagnosed with adult-onset uh, multisystem inflammatory excuse me, um, syndrome related to COVID. No, he was COVID positive on admission, but know that he never had a preceding upper respiratory symptom. However, all the other findings were consistent with the new rarer syndrome, MISC-A. So a typical presentation, but his eventual AMSC syndrome has criteria for diagnosis and he met all of them. I've also seen on a few occasions other presentations that were atypical, i.e. more GI predominant than respiratory, but the response to treatment was the same. Six, the unique collection of findings in the initial hospital presentation were as follows. A viral phase preceding the pulmonary phase, the latter of which befell a minority of those with the initial viral syndrome and typically becoming severe enough to need hospital for hypoxia, shortness of breath, approximately seven to 10 days after first symptoms. The re reproducible timing of the pulmonary phase, as I call it, was novel. We published a paper describing the timeline and characteristics of the phases in late December 2020. It's all part of Scooby-Doo. It was there. Yep. <laughs> he was making yeah, out. Pierre doesn't understand infectious clones, clearly. <laughs> right. Um, often presenting with happy hypoxia, which is a clinical, i.e. observational diagnosis, not a defined mathematical one. In my career, diagnosing and treating causes of acute respiratory failure, hypoxia, most patients with severe hypoxia, evidence visibly obvious increased work of breathing with use of respiratory muscles, upright posture in bed, tracheal tugging, diaphoresis, abdominal respirations, confusion, an elevated respiratory rate is not what I use to define or differentiate happy hypoxia. In COVID, I kept seeing patients with moderate to severe hypoxia, but without all the signs above, uh, all the signs type above of an elevated work of breathing. I saw so many patients whose oxygen levels and work of breathing were so obviously discordant. And to me, as a respiratory failure expert, I found this novel. And not only to me, early on, a number of us clinicians had debates among us as to why this was happening. And it was my recall that I had only seen that kind of presentation in patients with a disease called organizing pneumonia or OP. Now that OP is not an infectious condition. Maybe it's infectious clone. Perhaps not. <laughs> Although it can be caused or associated with infections, but its most common cause are either idiopathic, meaning they don't know, or drug-induced. There was a pervasive a bilateral organizing pneumonia on CT scan. Yeah, well, you can't trust those uh, high-power electrons beamed at photographic plates. That's all... Uh, uh, nuclear nuclear tech isn't real. Yeah, you can't isolate those atoms and electrons. How dare you? How dare you use them in your engineering? Yeah, uh, for, for for those in the audience, who, for those in the audience who, who who wonder why we're being so sarcastic, 
um, this this article has already been attacked by the same stupid people. And all we are doing is making fun of the claims that they are making in response to this article. Not just the reason for this article exists. They've already come out and are still attacking it. Mm. And these are the same people who argue that, you know, nuclear weapons aren't real and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So, so you're we're making fun of this. You're hallucinating that flash <laughs> of light and yeah. clap of thunder as the <laughs> from white man's boomstick. <laughs> Have faith in Wacom Tanker and uh, oh yes, our jokes are based in reality. That's the, <laughs> that's the scary part. Is all of our sarcasm is is we're making fun of real people who are saying real shit right now. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, you know what? Someone just made a good point in the chat. Um, where did that hmm. happen to the wastewater? Well, anyway, someone someone pointed out that uh, just by coincidence, um, there's been a whole bunch of moves made to just essentially take sewage and start dumping it on food crops as water, reclaimed water. Oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, just another one of those. Uh... Well, why does that make me just think of the Omen 3? scene that you did oh yeah a while back omen 2 that one (laughs) famine scene (laughs) yeah i don't know why but that's the first thing that popped in my head just now yeah it's it's such an epic movie man (laughs) how is our plans going for world starvation (laughs) our genetically engineered crops uh... that was back in the 70s dude yeah that's that's... it was scary yeah, it was a literal uh, open. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> a literal open. <laughs> let's. Uh, oh, we'll forget the. Uh, I don't know. I wanted to play that because it was zombies. But um, YouTube. Omen. Two. Famine. Scene. I'll share. I'll share. Um, Famine. What's uh can't find it. It's gay. Was it Omen two or Omen three? Um I'm sure it was the second one. Um but maybe if I search in YouTube, the search engine will give it that. Omen Famine scene. Second one, the original decap. I remember watching the decapitation as a kid. Omen came on the TV. <laughs> I was mortified. <laughs> Fucking, I, I would, you know, if it came on again, I'd still be like peeking through my fingers. Um, that was me. That was me with the movie Aliens. Yeah, that one as well. <laughs> a little, I, I remember being a little kid, and, and my dad put that on the TV. <laughs> Look, man. I'm, if you just think think that right, I, we had little. I don't know if your screen was like twenty inches, and I can, I can remember a lot of people having black and white TVs. 
for a long, long time. But you oh, would yeah, sit in box TVs like, with tiny screens, yeah. Yeah, and you would be engrossed in movies and those little <laughs> shitty one speaker <laughs> sound, right? For now, nowadays, everyone's got fucking hundred inch LCD. Someone find me the uh, the famine scene from Omen because it's it's so it's so germane to what we're seeing here. But even 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 something as heinously inspired as the Omen couldn't think up prions. <laughs> <laughs> It was just your oh. normal starvation, and uh... yeah, this is a this is a different level. Anyway, all right. Uh, so pervasive bilateral organizing pneumonia on CT scans. Can't trust those CT scans. That three D X ray. That's all. That's all. Uh, that's all in silicon. That reconstruction. <laughs> <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, dude. Uh, fucking, I've had MRI, CT scans, and I'm I'm looking at it. I'm like, holy shit! And the fact that they could, that, you know, I, I use CT scans a lot when we 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 would do this combination MRI CT. It's really, really, really accurate for placing stuff in the brain. But just looking at my own pelvis and spine and being able to sort of rotate it 3d yeah so uh that's your uh that's your silicon in silico analysis <laughs> assholes uh so, you know what i'll do it at the end we'll get to the end of this so um so OP is an uncommon finding in general and organizing patterns are quite differentiating amongst diseases, especially if you solely compare films on presentation to hospital, not later on the wards or ICUs as diseases progress or secondary complications develop. I compare apples with apples, films on presentation and not apples with oranges, films on presentation versus film after ventilation. To give you an example of what really happens in COVID disease, look at this progression. Note the presenting and two subsequent films are classic OP, but then over time you can see consolidations, nodules, traction bronchi... bronchiectasis, I think you would pronounce that, fibrosis, and DAD ARDS. But the presenting film in the top left was classic and reproducible. Mm. <laughs> that person's fucked. <laughs> If that's the same person. You know, it's, you know what's interesting is the, the first time I heard about organizing pneumonia, it was Garth Nicholson. Hmm. Interesting. In, in, in relation to COVID, I'm pretty sure it was Garth Nicholson. I think he did a paper on that. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Um, shout out to having the being that age and writing paper. I'm done with it. <laughs> I'm managed. Oh, uh... he he's in his he's in his seventies. He's he's written a dozen papers about COVID. I can manage shit posting still on the internet. You're <laughs> making memes. Yeah, <laughs> he's still he's still he's still publishing actual things. Well, of course, I mean, it's not like it's not like most science is actual anymore. Someone, someone, anyway. find me! I haven't. Come on, what's the matter with your chat? Find me the, find me the famine scene. 
How else would it be called? Maybe they're too engrossed in in your excellent mm. shit tier analysis. Then. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. right. So <laughs> patients often presenting with high ferritin levels indicating severe activation of macrophages, also uncommon but can be seen with other viruses. However, the consistence the consistency of this elevation was unique. Patients often presented with high D-dimers, CRP, ESR, markers of inflammation and clotting. No, it's all psychogenics, all in your head. What's the matter with you? All those uh, complex feedback loops and uh, <laughs> you just think it and it happens. All right, again. Ku uh, uh, is stuck in a complex feedback loop. So. <laughs> yeah, it's um, weed-induced, but... Not, not that I've got anything against weed per se, but um, yeah, it does have it does have drawbacks, uh, as you can tell. Uh, all right. Clearly. Again, these are all non-specific findings, but when appearing together, over and over, help define this novel syndrome. Often presenting with high LDH. LDH. I don't know what that uh, is. I'm quite low. I don't know. I've seen. I don't remember. Yeah, it's, it's something really. Yeah. LDH. Is that not? Um, I've seen it recently on my own charts, so okay. can't remember. I don't know what it is. Can't remember what it is. All right. In the first wave, especially lots of hypo and hypernatremia in the ICU, which perplexed nephrologists I worked with, often presented with complete anosmia. Um, hang on. Someone may have the omen. It, it better be that movie clip, GDL. Not some, not some of your sketchy movie clips, uh, music clips. It is just a bit. Fuck you, GDL. No, day. Yeah, I was thinking it was cholesterol, but it seems a bit odd. LDH. That's LDL. Mm. Not LDH. Mm. Anyway. Uh, let's see. Often presented with complete anosmia or aguasia, loss of smell and taste, which would then persist for weeks to months beyond the illness. This latter persistence I had never heard of before. Typically, anosmia and aguasia are transient while ill with a virus, and they return once recovered. And now we know that that's tracked with um, actual anatomical um, markers of brain damage. Yep. So... Uh, long was, COVID. Yeah, long COVID. Yeah. I was in an Uber yesterday with a driver who told me he hasn't been able to smell in three years since he had COVID. Well, look, I can't smell much since I cracked my head, to tell the truth. Not not well, subtle things. I mean, like the, the cats we have now, I can smell that. <laughs> 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 and so it says it's lactate dehydrogenase. Thank you. <clears throat> thank you. Um, let's see. Zombie 68 has a link to. That's one of the most famous scenes in Omen. I can't believe I can't find it. I used to be able to find it. I wonder why, I wonder why they're making it so hard. They don't, they don't want you knowing their plans now. <laughs> I, I was about to say, maybe, maybe they've realized that the, they saw your episode and they're like, holy <laughs> shit. <no." laughs> Take that! Yeah, look, it, it's not there. There must be. There must be. Um, that is spooking me now. 
Um, uh, uh, so brain damage. Um, often rapid progression to fibrosis on CT scans. This was novel to me. I'd never seen such rapidly fibrosing lung findings on CT scans in ICU patients. Again, not unique as there is a rare rapidly fibrosing lung disease called AIP, acute interstitial pneumonia, but it is very rare and does not present in the context of the syndrome above. High rates of ME-CFS, uh, myelagic encephalitis, chronic fatigue syndrome, aka long COVID, compared to what has been described with other viruses as per this Mayo Clinic paper. Long VAX is actually more common than long COVID, and those patients are on average sicker than long COVID patients. Mm, I don't know about that. Um, I think it's a mixed bag. But um... I don't know. I, I, I can't differentiate between... I can't tell which one I have. So. Right. It's just um, when when dealing with uh, weaponized epitopes, um, it probably doesn't matter at the end of the day. It'll, we might have it, dude. The past policy has made a forcible case for this company's continued adherence to electronics. Right. Is, is this it? Is this where they're driving around? No, this isn't it. But the future of Thorn Industries... No, uh, they're like driving around on like electric carts and um, walking through like uh, some fields of yeah, growing like greenhouses and, and um, but this this is this is one um, one scene. But dang, how can that? It's Omen too, definitely. Um, so I was right about that, but there's. There's no way that's odd that they would suddenly become hard to find. Anyway, you should be able to hear this. The past policy has made a forcible case for this company's continued adherence to electronics, to energy. But the future of Thorn Industries lies not only in solar energy, in shale oil, in the force of gravity. Our profitable future, gentlemen, is also in famine. We now possess, potentially, the most formidable force in the world for large-scale agricultural endeavors. However, we have to guard against the indigenous populations ever thinking we are in the business of exploitation. We are not. I emphasize that. We are there to help. <laughs> yes, Jane? Mr. Pisarian's working on the P-84. You asked me to let you know when he got there. Thank you. Gentlemen, take a half-hour break. Those seventies hairdos, man. <laughs> They're top notch. Now let's look ahead to the future. Well, and so it's not even in like the sort of recommended searches either. Right? That... Now let's look ahead no, to the future. Shut it, you. Past policy has made a force. Right, you would you would expect other omen things to at least be in the search bar. I mean, I have the movie, but I'm not going to say I'm trying, can't even get through one article. I'm not going to sit for uh, two hours <laughs> watching a movie. <laughs> like this. All right, so we're to MECFS. I don't know. I don't know. I, I don't know whether I, I. I think making the statement that long co uh, vax. Well. We'll say we'll give them the benefit of the doubt in this sense. Like the, uh, the we'll say unintended consequences of the vax. 
that's what they would say. Um, we would say, uh, no, that would be an intended consequence of spike exposure. Um, but saying that it's manifesting more now, well, the th I guess the numbers are, could potentially be higher just because you've just had so many synchronized exposures right now. Well, I, I, keep, I keep thinking that, um, I keep going back to the fact that there's, you're getting much more spike and you're getting it all at once. Mm -hmm. And then, um, so statistically you would, you would think that there'd be a, there'd be a higher chance of, of deleterious effects from these epitopes. If, if they're, if we're, so I don't know, that kind of intuitively makes sense to me, but I can't back it up mm -hmm. except with those studies that show that, that measure, spike in infectious patients versus um, circulating spike from vaccines or, or not circulating spike from vaccines, but um, measuring the amount of spike that's are in a dose of vaccine. So. GDR says, <laughs> tell me what's uh, in the scene. So they're basically talking about the industries that they're in and how they can form industries. Is that the try that but they're 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 basically taking a tour of uh the factory right student trip tour at four yeah this might be it ah i found it not entirely by a three-man team at the controls of this no computer. it's not it fuck fuck and look it's someone hard to get not entirely I don't know, I, but I distinctly remember I was in Memphis and I was driving back to my brother's house from, I don't know, getting a pizza or something. And, uh, and I'll never forget because I have, I've, I've still never seen the movie. But I hadn't, so of course I hadn't seen the scene and I thought it was hilarious. Look. But yeah, that's interesting. You can have uh, war porn, um, execution. Um, you can't you can't get them doing the uh, Bilderberg Club of Rome <laughs> scene from Omen Two. <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a, that's an interesting interesting situation. Yes, but you can't find it anymore. Uh, here's one for you, Charles. High transmissibility with clear evidence of aerosol spread. Uh oh. No. No. <laughs> no, coming from a coming from a, a guy who knows a, a pulmonologist or whatever, spent his life. <laughs> I have never seen a disease which spread so rapidly and widely with numerous super spreader events, well described in the media and the CDC. Know that none of the other common respiratory viruses we see, flu, RSV, rhino, regular corona, transmit by aerosols to a significant extent. God, he sounds like me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, he must be. He must be in the Scooby Doo. Yeah. Oh, gee. Yeah, making it up. Uh, link to the article. Yeah. Significant. Um, uh, All are thought to be capable in certain discrete circumstances, but this thing was suddenly and pervasively airborne. 
I wrote an op-ed on aerosol spread in April 2020, first accepted by New York Times in May, then dropped, then published in USA Today in July of 2020. I wonder why the New York Times would drop it. Perhaps because he was becoming under... He had already been getting known for ivermectin by that point. Well, yeah, and... Ironically, I'm pretty sure JC has attacked here, Corey, because one of the things he was talking about was aerosol spread. Wait, say that again? um, JC was saying he was attacking Pierre Corey for uh, oh over all the time because because Corey is one of those people who pushes the aerosol narrative. Mm. Yep. Wow. That's some top-tier stupid, man. Well, it was just uh, someone uh, pumping in infectious clones, running around to the hospitals and their their ventilation systems, tapping into their O2 lines. The yeah, contain- Pierre Corey. Sorry, say that again. I, I was just, I was just joking. Continue. Uh, the contagiousness within families and after group events, despite social distancing and masks, were consistent and reproducible. Even my own household saw such spreads multiple times. The best explanation for the misunderstanding and under-emphasizing of the reality and predominance of aerosol spread can be found in the chapter Belief 1 in the book by Claire Craig called Expired. An unusually high number of pneumothuraces and pneumomediastinum on presentation to hospital. Holes in lung... Oh, shit. Um, holes in lung developed, causing air to leak out, either a f- <laughs> like a fucking gunshot wound. <laughs> that is correct, yeah. Right in your front, inside correct. out. <laughs> yeah, that happens everywhere, man. You just see it, that's... Uh... Yeah, that, that's, uh, you know what that is? That's, um, that's midazolam or other, uh, or opiate uh, overdoses. All oh, right, right. Yeah. It causes him a thorax, yeah. Right. <laughs> well, it's the uh, xylazine they put in the. In the. Xylazine. <laughs> my my apologies. You know, I'm so tired and space. I can't, I can't even remember the word for the super opiate. <laughs> oh, fentanyl? Fentanyl, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> right. You're getting an epic stream today, folks. Um, it's just let's just see if anyone is not uh, you know who. Uh, let's see if we earned any money today, Charles. Uh, oh, um, Orn Mando sent fifty quid, so you've earned a pizza today at least. Uh, yeah, I can't. I can't eat one. But... <laughs> right. So. Uh, Oh, yeah, you've come out all right today, dude. <laughs> Not bad. Um, let's see. 
so yeah, infective. Oh, uh, um, so outside of someone with chronic lung disease, this is extremely rare to occur spontaneously in patients with a pre-morbid healthy lungs. Uh, when it occurs spontaneously, it typically only occurs in thin, tall young men and women, and occurs idiopathically. Uh oh, poor gigaspiral. <laughs> <laughs> but we're seeing a lot of them. <laughs> Again, very rare for a viral infection to produce pneumothorax in native healthy lung. However, I also, although I saw this numerous, numerous times, it was still relatively rare amongst total population of patients, but was far more frequent than in any other acute illness I've encountered. Lots of deep vein fibrosis and pulmonary emboli on admission or soon after admission, i.e. very high rates of macro and micro clotting. Micro clotting, like turbo cancer, are new medical terms, by the way, only introduced since COVID. Reversing the micro clotting aggregation of red blood cells is one way in which ivermectin works and has been associated with rapid improvements in oxygenation. Two novel insights since COVID. Also, I've never had a case of a 29-year-old healthy male who died in the emergency room from overwhelming right heart failure from a massive pulmonary embolism about five days into his symptoms. Nasty, nasty, nasty. Nor have I seen dialysis, dialysis circuits where, <laughs> where you could see the clots in the tubing as a regular occurrence. Yeah, man. Holy shit. <laughs> it's just... Uh, that... Uh, that super clotting. <laughs> that's, that's, uh, well, you know, you'd see it all wow. the time, right? The, down the dialysis clinic. They'd, uh, they'd have oh, to yeah. be they're scraping them out <laughs> with a shovel and pick. Oh, yeah. I used to find them all the time at the Naval Health Clinic and the Marine Hospitals from all those 20 something Marines getting their kidneys clogged from. Microflot. Just fall. You're just tripping over them as you walk in the door. <laughs> it's incredible. I just can't get rid of them. Uh. <laughs> All right. Um, also, I've never oh, I did that. Uh, did that. Uh, again, I wrote a paper about the incidence of hypercoagulability with near zero fibrinolysis in ICU patients, and I started writing that after my fourth patient. Again, this pattern can be seen, can sometimes be seen in other critical illness, but it was so reproducible, identical between patients in the first wave. In terms of how deadly it was, this also gets complicated because the disease changed over the past few years, and despite the seemingly low infection, infection fatality rate, it is the opinion of my colleague, a Midwestern doctor, oh, shout out to Midwestern doctor, I like him, he gave me a shout out, uh, that is impossible to calculate the true IFR for influenza, so a direct comparison between the two is not possible. One other troublingly unique aspect was that in the first wave in New York, doctors and nurses were dying on the front lines. Oh, yeah, just um, those doctors and nurses always falling down dead all the time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's typical. Yeah, just uh, you have to go out for lunch break. You're just stepping over dead. Uh... <laughs> and, it, and it got any manners. Uh, yeah. Just dying on the job. What's up with that? Yeah, crisis actors, infectious clones. That's what that is. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the two towers did not fall down it was a hologram um, alright so uh, one of the first to die was an absolute giant of my speciality 
He died in Seattle right after their first influx of patients. I have never lost a colleague to the same disease we were treating, ever. And I knew of at least three who died in the first wave of COVID, and that's just me. The trajectory of illness in the hospital and ICU, for me as a pulmonologist and ICU specialist, was also novel in that patients with hypoxia and CT scan changes would require high fractions of oxygen initially, could breathe without distress, but then over days to a week the lung changes would advance, worsen distress, would develop non-invasive or invasive ventilation would then be required, and once on a vent would require weeks before recovery or death. Yes, there was a minority who died fairly quickly. However, the prolonged stability of these patients was unique to me in that in critical illness, once you have an advanced organ failure like heart or lung failure, the typical trajectory is patients declare themselves in the first four days of ICU. It's a, I suppose, very medical way of putting it. They declare themselves. No, I, want, I want out of this, please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm stepping over to the other side. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so meaning that they start to evince a slow or rapid deterioration or a slow or rapid improvement but you see changes daily however in covid patients day after day very little would budge either good or bad weird i tell you Interesting. I, I would i would be very very uh, autonomic dysregulation in this instance again if if like the brain stem is not picking up properly so the machine has to do the work and then it's just right and they just can't couple it back up again hmm. so again the main thrust of my argument is that there was a constellation of symptoms and the findings that presented in a novel and unique combination it was not any one single finding that gave it its uniqueness as there are very few pathognomic findings in medicine as in very rare to have an abnormality that is present or specific to one disease but this does not mean we cannot differentiate clinically amongst presenting illnesses that process is literally the core of what i do as a physician i am first a diagnostician and true expertise in medicine is driven by high-level abilities to discern among patterns, i.e. pattern recognition, and the pattern of presentation of COVID was unique and easily discernible and distinct from other viral syndromes to a seasoned clinician. Yes, all influenza-like illnesses will have some combination of cough, fever, headache, sore throat, chest, congestion. And yes, those alone are not easily differentiatable. When you bring in the timing of symptom development, context of symptom development, predict, predictably, predictably sorry, timed after household or social exposure where others were or became ill, a combination of their initial radiographic abnormalities, lab abnormalities, initial dry lung, relatively rare and acute respiratory failure outside of asthma or COPD exacerbations, progression trajectory of illness with progressive hypoxia and then progressing radiographically from just GGOs, I don't know what that means, to other more severe injury patterns like consolidations, response or lack of response to certain therapies, you become very familiar with what was a unique and novel syndrome. And, you know, the way I can, like the nearest sort of experience that I would have, which is as I was sort of learning to induce like the, neuro the models of neurodegenerative states, as you're learning that, it's all like you're, you're sort of, overwhelmed with by the well you initiate the process and then in my in instance we would we would always work with severe models and so you would have a normal monkey 
at the beginning of the week, by the end of the week, it was just a like frozen um, wow rock basically, <laughs> and um, you know the I developed a reputation just for um, I could maintain these animals um, m well indefinitely basically whereas you know the monkey would be given to students and they would just be trying to hand feed them and um, trying to get them through and and you know those animals didn't last but I, I essentially just automated it to um well, not automated. I mean, it was all hands-on. But I was just like, okay, as soon as they stop eating, we intubate every time, and nasogastric or orogastric feeding, and and it took time oh. to. And even even then, right? You 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 had to learn. You know, there would be clusters of the way that animals would respond, right? As they as they began the sort of st stabilization process over weeks to months after lesioning. Wait, you mean that uh, with greater experience, hands-on experience in a clinical setting, even with monkeys, you were able to make predictions and improve? Mm. Uh, huh. Well, that's yeah, imagine a, that, right? Imagine that. <laughs> <laughs> huh. Yeah, sounds like what Pierre Coy is saying. Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, let's see. Although I believe I addressed the main conclusion of Neil Attell's post reviewing the published literature on COVID-19, if it is helpful and the risk of sounding redundant, let me specifically address some of the main points in that article. Radiologic findings cannot reliably differentiate between COVID-19, influenza-like illness, and bacterial pneumonia. My response, agree and disagree as above, but this is not the only thing we used, although using radiography was super helpful in discriminating. And yes, I can say this despite the paper showing relatively equal incidences of various radiographic abnormalities overall. You are overlooking timing and stage of disease where radiography is a much better differentiator than those papers suggest. Also, if you accept this statement on face value, it essentially would mean that radiography cannot be replied upon, relied upon to differentiate among infectious illness. Ask any doctor and they will tell you that radiography is one of the best diagnostic tools never perfect but hugely impactful yeah that's that's because you can't isolate those electrons and uh those photographic plates aren't real you can't organize chemicals in a photoreactive layer that's uh nanometers thick and um reactive yep, to sure. <laughs> i mean you know just like we couldn't uh we couldn't uh look at the cloud after a nuclear blast and be able to tell based on the isotope uh, signature, what nuclear reactor the original fissile material had come from, except that we can. Foren forensic so, nuclear weapon investigation it must be fake. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, if nuclear weapons are fake, then clearly right. our ability to detect them and forensically determine them is that, also that nuclear chemistry, all those... Uh... Uh, that linear accelerator well, I used to work next to and radioactive isotopes, galanium point oh sources man. for you. <laughs> right. Um, uh, 
Symptoms, clinical observations, happy hypoxia and laboratory findings cannot differentiate between the above illnesses either. I simply and respectfully disagree. Experts have pattern recognition, which easily allows for this. And pattern recognition might be better explained as intuition. It is almost an unconscious process when it occurs, but I have been successfully relying on my pattern recognition skills to differentiate among acute causes of acute respiratory failure for 20 years. Three, thus there is no proof that a novel pathogen or syndrome existed. It was either flu, bacterial pneumonia, or toxic exposure, or widespread vaping illness. Oi, <laughs> it's not vaping. Um, I've tested that hypothesis now. <laughs> Aggressively. All right. Um, following from the above, hundreds of thousands of doctors around the world were fooled into believing what was this was a new syndrome, while instead it represented illnesses long encountered throughout their collective careers, but it was the media journals and scare policies that made them view it as novel. See reply to number two. Let's try to answer number three more specifically. Why was it not the flu? Because in my career, I've taken care of maybe five patients on a vent due to the flu, and three of them, maybe four, were pregnant over two decades and hundreds and hundreds of days of running ICUs. Flu rarely causes severe acute hypoxic respiratory failure in my experience, nor do we see hundreds of thousands of flu cases a year. With COVID in NYC, it was difficult to run ICUs because you would have 18 to 24 patients on your service, all with nearly identical chest x-rays, um, OP initially, meaning the organization organizing pneumonia uh, that progressed to consolidations and or arts i've never in my Correct. life had icus full of patients with the same disease this was novel mm. i mean that's a big yep. data point right that <laughs> Although... well i mean only if you believe in data but... <laughs> those those lab lab results it's just written on toilet paper Right. Well, oh, and so GGO, that was ground glass capacities. Oh, of course. So that's all that was. Yeah. Why was it not bacterial pneumonia? Well, from the features above, bacterial pneumonias are not associated with OP, are generally unilateral. The vast majority of COVID was bilateral, most often consolidative rather than with ground glass, accompanied by thick and or colourful phlegm, can have pleurisy, and when severe, typically causes severe sepsis, hypertension. Also, outside of TB, bacterial pneumonias do not exhibit human-to-human -human transmission, so cannot explain all the transmission and dying unless someone was to argue that widespread immunosuppression developed, making most of the population uniquely susceptible to bacterial pneumonia in their environment all of a sudden. Well, I would just say, uh, just wait a bit. <laughs> that might... Yeah, he, he was ahead of his time on that one. Yeah. <laughs> just, uh... <laughs> it's maybe a cooming. Um, oh. let's see no this is important this was before the vaccines so I have no other possible cause of sudden um, immunosuppression amongst the population again bacterial pneumonias are random relatively rare events in most people's lives and instead mostly tend to affect the elderly as they go into immunosenescence and or develop swallowing difficulties well that comes with uh, the Parkinson's and uh, prion disorders that's generally how you die. Just can't swallow anymore. <laughs> Give up. Yeah. <sighs> young and healthy, there are very rare events. I had too many young and healthy relatively on vents suddenly. Why, how would a bacterial pneumonia suddenly do this unless it was a new superbug, which would have quickly been identified? But you can't do that. Identifying these as uh, microorganisms, and uh, how dare you? That's. Uh, that's just stretching it too far. 
Well, clearly the actual answer is that it wasn't COVID. It was H seven N nine or you know H five N one or right. oh, Jesus exosomes. Mm. Exos <laughs> Right. Uh, true. People with viral illnesses can develop secondary bacterial pneumonias, and certainly some many COVID patients patients could eventually develop secondary bacterial pneumonia. But this is not what brought them to hospital in droves, nor was the main cause of death. Again, another important point that these people twist around: Why did these people end up at the hospital in the first place? And yes, you could say psychogenic driver would make people more aware, but they were driving a lot of people away hospitals didn't want patients that was the case in japan <laughs> they didn't want to do oh, yeah. COVID tests on you i had a i had a kidney stone in april of 2020 and i got kicked out of there after six hours in the oh, ER. shit. they're like oh are you stabilized oh good get they literally put me on the curb and set up a, a cab for me yeah. <laughs> and and it was stereotypical like they weren't busy they had a whole hosted they had nurses lining the sidewalks waiting for people to come in with COVID. But if you didn't have COVID, oh, yeah, you didn't count. You didn't matter. Get out of here. No. Well, whatever. It doesn't. And look, there was all these things like fucking dancing nurses and TikTok videos, etc. You have to must think of it all as the weapon system. All of it. And yeah. now, now people like Rancor a part of it too. Well, you know, <laughs> I, I am actually going to have to go here. Mm. So, what time is it? There must be. That's uh, midnight. So. Oh, we're, we're nearly at the end anyway. Um, so young people, why was it not vaping? Vaping can be ruled out by history taking. The vast majority of patients were not vapors. Smokers and vapors make up less than 20% of the population. This syndrome spared no segment of the population. And I'm unaware of data showing a massive increase in sales of vapes at that time. Last rebuttal of a point Mike Eden made above. Eden separately. I've looked and looked. I know we have to find the literature. Yeah, rebuttal. Beyond the above, I was also sent this post which compiled 67 studies where, under experimental conditions, various viral illnesses could not be transmitted to another person despite exposure to secretions, breath, virus, etc. I've not done a literature search to find positive transmission studies, but in that list, I have to say that all of the polio studies, most of polio, should be thrown out because polio, in nearly all circumstances, was not an infectious disease. The bulk of the evidence shows it was caused by insecticide poisoning, with arsenic, etc. Yada, yada, yada. Okay, uh, chicken pox examples, etc., etc. Apologize now after time, find published literature. That's all I've got. Uh, I'm not sure if I've squared the circle in terms of making coherent sense. Um, but anyway, um, his clinical experience trumps uh, the witterings of. Um, it's like it's like trying to tell um, an experienced car mechanic right well it's not it's not the <laughs> water pump right the, i've read the haynes yeah. manual and that's a good example. <laughs> <laughs> you you don't know what you're talking about put that wrench away <laughs> <laughs> all right that's that's it done oh. Yeah. So, so um let's see, I want to say thank you to everyone. We clocked up 
fed dirt, we fed dirt. Come on, Dorixi, let me just count that. I've got to do this again tomorrow for the... <laughs> I need to make money. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, Dead ready, 55, 105, 105, 105, 105, 105, 105, 105, 105, 105, 105, 105, 105, 105, 105, I suppose it's not a bad rate per hour, but... Um, well, especially not when you're on your back. I was going to say when you're on your back, but then uh, <laughs> that may not be the best uh, best phrase. Anyway. I'll let you go, dude. You go rest. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'll finish out this this stream. So, oh man, I will. Fun. I I will send you the receipts and the, <laughs> and the PayPal. <laughs> okay. All right. All right, dude. Take care. Yeah. Bye-bye. <laughs> All right. Uh, the, like I say, I think that was, um, it was nice to get this clinical experience. And, you know, there's a, there's a bunch of experts disagreeing, not, not the Vaxophile experts, right? There are people actually getting hands-on with the, uh, the elements around SARS, the, um, you know, I've been hands-on with vaccines. I've been hands-on with neurodegenerative disorders. Um, so I can bring some degree of expertise. A lot of these people have zero expertise in these domains. Um, oh, yeah, is this the clip? GDL Science has heard? Uh, might be. Might be. Shout out for the omen here. Oh, it's not available anymore. <laughs> no shit. Why? Did I did I not copy it right? Fox blocked the video content. Yes, yeah, it's just the the executives were like, all right, that's a bit bit too close to home. Transcript is here. I wonder what I wonder what happens if what if we use the import from WTYL. Remember, folks, uh, you can do this. Import with URL. Import. Cannot fetch it. Nah, never mind. But uh, you should be using wetalkyoulisten.com WTYL.live You can stream there. You can upload there. Please start aggregating stuff. Um, it's uh, it's it's growing. Um, I have to admit, I'm getting uh, more more viewers, uh, more subscribers, and um, subscribers. Um, but like I said, you can stream, you can upload, and um, I think this is one of the solutions to the coming um, adaption. Right, you know, don't want to as, as black pilling as uh, the uh, bioaccumulation of uh, prions is. Um, some will get through, for sure. <laughs> you know, whilst we have the tech, we should use it. All right, so let's see. Two thousand one, they thought they had a drug in twenty nineteen. They got this. 
Alzheimer's double prion disorder. Wow, I do enough about prions. Um, we also ran out of cotton handkerchiefs for emotional ER doctors. Mm. Uh, let's see. He just needs a strap up Fuji Mountain and some ninjutsu training. You are. I don't know what that means. I believe our hospital medical staff in Australia are still being coerced into accepting vaccination despite all the evidence against vaccination for a coronavirus. Uh, mycoplasma fermentans. Yeah. Rixie needs more hot peppers for the hot snakes. What that means. Uh, let's see. Try TikTok dancing now in NHS. <laughs> let's see. Doctors and booty getting up for a four day graveyard shift in chaos. Thank you, Charles. I just emailed Catherine to contact you. I'd like to get other platforms informed of your work. Vape. Kevin's not dead. Not yet. <laughs> I'm still here for, uh, fighting away. Um, leading epidemiologist in Australian COVID inquiry still claims vaccines are safe and effective and herd immunity. Yeah, it's going to be a long struggle as we find out what that data means. Um, I'm on the, I think, well, I don't want to give too much away, but um, let's see. You and Charles work well together. Thank you for streaming, Doc. More money on the fridge. Right, thank you. Uh, much appreciated. Um, I hope uh, people have found that, like I say, the stream is meant to be um, somewhat entertaining, informative, and uh, I think it's one of the more original ones on the internet at the moment. And, uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's not easy making uh, scientific papers um, entertaining in, uh, on a day-to-day basis like this. So uh, sometimes if it doesn't quite ignite you have to put up with it. Today was a good stream. All right, shout out to Charles for that. He is um, he is awesome to work with, that's for sure. Uh, let's see, new upload, Stilag and Porn and Holocaust. Okay. Um, Pedro in the chat, good to see you. Um, all right, Barra 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 boy. All right, uh, so I would just say thank you to uh, Tiltbex, uh, Karmadoc, more damn beans, Vov and Gaza. Um, thank you. Uh, look, again, like every every time I do a stream with Charles, um, and I, we were sort of talking about making another channel where you know <laughs> this one is. Uh, what should we say? It's the uh, it's the behind the bike shed smoking kids uh, <laughs> stream. We we'll probably try and aim for something where we're we're maybe talking with other people. Um, about you know, current events, COVID, that sort of thing, and hope hope we can make something of that. Um, try and diversify somewhat, and uh, let's <laughs> see if we can stay up on YouTube. For uh... <laughs> I've got the reflex now just for doing this uh, this type of streaming now. Be be hard to break, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it a go. And uh, we've got to look after that marine. And um, he needs to eat too. It's that, it's that simple. Um, like I say, if he's not fighting for you, there aren't many others who are. I was, like I say, I was listening to the um, Biosafety Now people, that space, and it's they're weak, man. <laughs> Fucking weak. I get it, you need to be somewhat diplomatic in the. Uh, academic domain but um talks clocks ticking until until we have data proving otherwise 
Uh, check Skype. Would like to schedule more conversation. Great work. Um, I will do. I know someone was trying to catch me for a meeting the other day, and I just uh, just time zones, and then I was Tokyo. I, I will get back to you. It's on my list. Um, if that's the same person. Uh, let's see. I did that. Did that. Um. Oh yeah. What was uh interesting? Uh. You can't measure that stuff. All those cells aggregated into tissues and organs. That's just all in silico. <laughs> but I was just, uh, I was i was looking at my MRI, right? Just uh, we, we were sort of going over it closely in the, in the clinic, deciding what to do yesterday because we couldn't, we couldn't get the MRI scheduled. So um, I'm going to do it. In other weeks, I had a I had another shot, um, basically into uh, between L four and um, L five. Is that right? One, two, three, four, five, four, five, five. How many lumbar vertebrae? I should know that. L4, L4, okay. That's S1. So L5, L4, L3, L2, L1. So um, we're sort of kind of looking at that. And I don't know how clear it is for you guys. Maybe I'll just put myself off the screen. And he's a, he, he convinced me to hold back from surgery. Uh, for the moment and you know I'll, I can just sort of describe what it is that we're looking at so ba basically there are three vertebra uh, three discs that are um, prolapsed and herniating out and uh, the ones L4, L5 and L5, S1 are the worst and you can sort of you know, it was interesting to sort of look at this. We want to, th we're, we're trying to see now. So this part here, oh shit, where my mouse is, right? That's, that's the hernia. If I split that yellow line and I jump it between the, the images, right? So this sort of bulges out. Ah, come here. Oh no. Ah, I want you to see my. Um, right, so it's it's kept in place, and here you can see the hernia, and so so I'll trace around. Oh, you know, what I'll do I'll do this, so here so yeah about a centimeter across and let's see about let's see seven seven eight seven seven to eight millimeters sort of protruding out just at, at this level and so anyway, I was I, was, I sort of um, 
I let him, like the process this time was much easier than the last time. And when he put the needle in last time, it was literally like a, I got hit by a bolt of lightning that went down my leg. I didn't get that this time. So maybe that's, that, that's a good sign. And I've been somewhat fitter today, but uh, I, I've been more um, aggressive with anti-inflammatories, ibuprofen this time. I usually would not take that, but I'm thinking I'm having to at least for a few days after the um, in infusion. And I was playing around with this uh, software and you get this actually really cool um, 3D feature. Uh, for me, it's cool. But um, let's see what's going on here. Yeah, so if you sort of wiggle it around, so these points here are the discs, right? They're, they're, this is the vertebra, and between the discs uh, are other discs. And if you sort of pivot round, right, you can see, like, on the right-hand side, there's like a... So the, the, the discs are surrounded by a sort of tough outer cartilaginous um, membrane and there's like a sort of pulp sac in the middle that acts like a, a cushion and think of it sort of a bit like a those tide pods you throw in the washing machine and you can see that on on the left hand side this, this is a good example right so the other side is full you can see if I rotate it around see it's it's more more full and pronounced so the sac is intact and on this side it's basically emptied out and pushed up against the the spine and uh, you can heal a bulging hernias of a disc um look i'm trying man um doing a whole bunch of physical therapy. I, I'm sitting in the chair. It's probably not the best idea. I'm going to go lay down. And, uh, um, but it's, you know, it's not, uh, it's not like a little bulge or anything. Like it's, you know, it's sort of um, exudating out. And so, you know, he was he was basically saying to me that, well, you know, they can they've got the keyhole type surgery to go in and basically try and seal it and cut a cut away what's pressing up against the spine. And he's like, he goes, it's not really guaranteed to solve the pain issues though. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. And like the the disc is unstable, right? So you're sort of explaining to me that if like they go in and they'll cut away. So what's exuded out essentially is you have to think it gets surrounded, encapsulated by a more sort of like scar tissue. And he's like, you go in and if you remove it, essentially you, you're taking away that there's support there still. It's painful support. But the, sp the spine is still sort of stabilized. And because he's like, you've got it across three discs. 
where it's just on each uh, down the left hand side it's just um uh don't have mmj in japan i don't know what mmj is but you know he was like yeah you know because i've seen you know he's like be thankful like you're mobile and what have you and i was like yeah i guess and um he was like you know any any um intervention that would be made right now because it's free discs and they've all they've all basically burst uh, down this left hand side um would be there to be tough basically um and you know the the thought of free discs being um you know they're kind of stable and then they're not stable and then like the bone just starts fusing mm. i don't know man like at the moment right there's still there's still gap between the bones so like the <laughs> scar tissue is holding it um uh looking to get in a jap no like japanese tables and i just can't sit down at them right if they go if we go to a japanese restaurant where we sit on the floor i have to go to the corner and basically lean my back against the wall and sit with my legs out straight i can't um i can't uh bend my legs in any way bone density is good um but it's just the well it's the injury done to the back like i guess i did it when i was i know when i did it i was i was young but it's um Right, so what's what's um i'm thinking is i'm i'm liking the sound of the uh what's it called they they basically inject like a a resin into the disc what was that called um but it's too expensive for me it's like Ten thousand bucks. I can't afford that. Uh, and insurance doesn't cover it. Whereas the, like the keyhole, go in and cut stuff, cut the herniation out, is covered. But it's a long, long recovery and no guarantee. And I'm probably going to be, um you're just on the trajectory for fusion and fucking misery on the <laughs> i don't want to uh do it so uh let's see let's minimize that minimize that and this uh is it someone no go here you i want to do this and the thing is it's apparently it's really common in europe i wonder if i could go to the uk and do it oh <gasps> oh that would be uh that would be kind of cool um 
doesn't see this one. Treatment time, about 15 minutes to go in. But I don't think... See, mine, mine is a bit more worse than that. I'm, so, I'm sort of between extrusion and sequestration, basically. And so I don't... Um, I don't qualify for this, this treatment. Um, but there's another one they do. Cell gel. Cell gel method. ILC 国際腰痛クリニック東京は品川駅から徒歩7分 W ビル内にあります Sorry, I forgot it was、uh, in Japanese, but、um, basically, what does it say?、Um, possibility to repair intervertebral discs where unable to use surgical laser treatment. The disc was repaired, the disc itself regains its original normal function through its own regenerative ability. The cell gel method uses local anesthesia over general anesthesia, make it less burdensome. Treatment is done with a thin needle, so the wound is minimal and recovery is rapid. Treatment is very short, allowing for outpatient day treatment. Safe modern treatment proven in more than 54 countries around the world.、Um, Universities and hospitals around the world publish. So、um, they put the, this stuff in, and、um, they, whatever this cell gel is, and then it restores the disc.、Um, but I don't know if.、Um, well, they said it's more for.、Um, let's see, collapsed disc.、Mm, pain in lower back. Back and or buttocks. Yes. Yes. I have that. <laughs> numbness in lower back. No. I wish it was numb.、Um, pain and numbness in only one leg. Yes. Unable to stand for a long time. Yes. And then unable to remain seated for a long time. Yes. Unable to walk for long distances. Yes. <laughs> I've had chronic back pain for a long time. The pain and numbness have only gotten worse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> A new alternative to laser ozone. Right, anyway,、um, I don't know. It, it's like, <laughs> I want to try these things before being cut and hacked. And、um, I don't know. If,、uh, what was I looking for? Cell gel treatment. Lumbar cell gel. New injectable gel. A new injectable gel significantly reduces chronic lower back pain. That's right. A new experimental form of hydrogel has proven both safe and effective when it comes to relieving chronic lower back pain caused by degenerative. Um. I'm all for、uh, hydrogels and technology in this instance. <laughs> Fuck all you Luddites who.、Uh, <laughs> um, uh, let's see. Pedro says, I feel if you've ever had L4, L5 disc removed and fused, bone together back in the mid 90s, have been fine ever since. People, like, I've had people say, yeah, fusion works. Other people say, don't do it. I'm really leery of fusion, man. Um, 
obstructive disc disease or triple D. <laughs> I'm not even going to go there. According to a new study, doctors can inject the new gel right into a patient's spinal discs. <laughs> if I inject it in my wife's butt, does she stop being a pain in the ass? <laughs> oh, it's just a... Look at his mixing board. What is... That's, uh, that's taking it too far, sir. Joke. I'm in trouble for that one. After six months of treatment, each patient involved reported feeling significantly less pain on a scale of one to ten pain among back pain. Um... Anyway, um, collapsed disc, patient returns to full function. Hi there, again. this is Dr. Rahul Desai, and I'm going to be doing another quick uh, before and after of stem cell therapy. This was a patient. Uh, this is an MRI from September. Uh, oh, God, please, please let the stem cell growth factors work. <laughs> is it working here? Give me hope. Of 2018, uh, patient... It came to us with severe, incapacitating, low back pain, and you can see here that that's nothing. That's nothing. I wish my spine was like that. That there is a collapsed disc at the L5. This is L5 vertebrae S1. The disc, you know, normally we'd like it to look like this one. This is L3-4. Uh, this is L4-5, with is, which is darker, so it's losing uh, fluid. It's losing its cushioning ability. Uh, it's a little bit sh uh, bulging here, and there's a small tear in the back side of the disc. This is uh, L5-S1, which is, you know, part, parts of it are completely collapsed. The bones are kissing each other here, and they're actually causing inflammation. This is a fluid-sensitive sequence, so fluid is bright. That's the CSF, the fluid that they take out during spinal tap. And this is one of the discs that are degenerating, the little tear in the back of the disc, and you can see here... That this is that's angriness, right? The disc is not doing its job anymore, and there's a ton of inflammation in the bones. The disc is herniated both anteriorly and posteriorly, and the patient uh, had basically incapacitating pain. They were going to do a fusion at this level and a disc replacement. At this level, uh, she came to see us. We did uh, a stem cell therapy for her, and uh, it was an interesting case. At six weeks, came back. Pain was actually worse. At uh, three yeah. months, uh, I'm in the pain is worse stage. <laughs> my, my bank account's getting drained rapidly. <laughs> return 10% benefit and at that time we weren't sure we thought we might have uh, the therapy might have failed and uh, we then uh, had talked about getting her to a surgeon and discussing potentially re-evaluating uh, that need she really wanted to stay away from the replacement and the diffusion uh, we then uh, followed up with her about a year later and thinking that she might have had the fusion and the surgery and uh, her response was pretty amazing she had, had complete resolution of uh, her low back pain and symptoms and was uh, back to full functionality it just took a little bit longer than expected we did a follow-up um, mri and some of the things i'd like to show you also during these sessions is kind of the precision in which the uh, procedure and the amount of work it takes so this is these are the needles into the um, iliac crest where you get the bone marrow not on here is the procedure for liposuction we have obtained uh, the platelets so her therapy included an epidural which shows this needle in the epidural space everything's image guided these are the facet joints at the level above that's l45 so precisely placed this is contrast outlining the joint contrast outlining the joint and then we follow that with stem cells uh, into the other the uh, right side or left side and then uh, these are the interspinous ligaments so helping stabilize iliolumbar ligaments uh, helping stabilize the spine and then I finally into the disc itself uh, you can see here this is a double needle technique so two needles one to get in the skin and get close and then a smaller uh, sterile needle into the joint you can see the actual this contrast here is filling the small annular tear that white area that we saw in the four or five disc which is uh, pretty darn cool that we see those things and that's the uh, filling of the five one disc and uh, a year later 
MRI comes back and uh, here we see this uh, area, still see the disc bulging, really things haven't changed too much, annular, annular tear is still uh, visualized there. The big difference in her scan was the amount of uh, bone marrow edema, which is basically gone. This has been replaced by uh, fibro fatty uh, changes, so this is a more mature uh, looking disc injury, and so it's gone into modic uh, type 2 changes and there's no longer pain or, or dysfunction. Um, obviously with that level of uh, disc injury we weren't expecting to have a disc that completely heals but we wanted to allow this tissue to go into a reparative phase and we were able to stimulate that and the patient's doing uh, extremely well and it's nice to see on the follow-up what exactly uh, why she's having that manifestation of uh, pain relief. And so it kind of proofs in the pudding when you start to look at these things and, and see what changes are there. So another very cool case uh, and some excellent follow-up. Mm. Yeah. Um. <laughs> All right. Um. That's it. I'm. I'm out of here. Take care. God bless. And uh, feed the marine and me. Help my back. I'm out of here. Take care. God bless. And, uh, oh, I, I was going to say I was doing. Um. What did I have lined up this week? Oh, I'm so tired. I can't remember. All right, see you next one. Bro, you don't know how angry I am. You do. I'm like, I was just leaving for fucking work. You do not understand how fucking pissed off. After reading that all line, I would be arrested for not taking a fucking vaccine. Fuck these gaffers! I will fucking kill each fucking gaffer. I swear. This is not a fucking joke anymore. This is fucking dead serious. I am fucking dead serious. These people don't know who the fuck they actually say. Fuck these chappers. No fucking vaccine or MRA or ever turns you on fucking blood, man. Never. No. I will fucking die. Fucking fighting for my fucking babies and my fucking forefathers and my fucking village. Fuck these motherfuckers. Hold it. All right, this guy. So check what about that we turned in. Let's go! 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 Let's go!